and there's no more room in hell. The dead will start a podcast. Hideous was the Gorgon that anyone looked upon was petrified. The proper word is Gorgonized, which literally means turned to stone. Everybody and welcome to No More Room in Hell number 57. Yes, I almost forgot what number we were on because it's been so damn long. This is the episode that uh, it, it got pushed back through the holiday season, through New Year's, and here we are on Super Bowl weekend, finally recording it. We've uh, started referring to it as the curse episode. Looks like tonight we'll be able to lift the curse, but I probably shouldn't even say that yet because we're at the beginning. We're only at the intro. So let me introduce my co-host so we can get going with this one. First up, Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How goes it? Greetings and salutation, Hammer fans. Um, I'm going to say this is still the cursed episode because my hand is here bleeding right now as I just beat the shit out of my computer. So, yeah, I'm going to say this is still a cursed episode. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, next up, it's Derek B. What's up, Derek? How are you doing? Oh, man, I thought this was going to be like the treatment where we had to watch it like 15 times. <laughs> because yeah. we kept pushing that episode back. Yeah, no shit, dude. Like, I I try to, like, space when my uh, viewings are for, uh, compared to when we record, and there was a couple times I was like, shit, I'm watching these again. I know that much. <laughs> All right. Well, with us, we have a special guest who uh, probably was like, what the hell's going on, guys? I thought this was supposed to happen like a few months ago. ago. Fortunately, we are in regular contact with him because he is our regular host on Fresh Cuts, which you can hear weekly. So let me introduce now Don and Nelly. What's up, Don? Yeah, what's going on? Thank you for uh, inviting me on and uh, always glad to get a call up to the majors. So, All right. Well, uh because we haven't recorded in so long, I say let's not even like delay and let's get into like our watch what we watch segment. Uh, of course, we could probably have compiled so many things. I think I've like crossed stuff off my list because they were what I watched like the original few times we were supposed to record. So I'm like I can't even remember enough to talk about those. So uh, hopefully we all got something though. So I'll kick it to Venom. Catch us up on something you watched since we last recorded. <laughs> Oh, that's only what the last four months worth of movies. Hmm, I might have yeah, some really. stuff to talk about. <laughs> All right, yeah, same here. Um, <laughs> uh, the first movie I'm going to bring up today is actually the last movie I watched in 2023. Uh, correction, the last new horror film I watched in 2023. 
This one, I actually had some slightly high expectations for this movie, and I try to curb my expectations as much as possible because sometimes expectations kind of ruin your movie-watching experience, so I try to avoid that as much as possible. But because this family's last movie, Hellbender, was my number two movie of 2022, I was really looking forward to watching this one. And this one, of course, is the latest film from the Adams family. Of course, that is John and Zelda Adams, not Morticia and Gomez. And that is, of course, Where the Devil Roams, released, I, I believe it was released like the very last week of 2023. I, I want to say December 28th, somewhere in that range. Um, but because of the pedigree of the family, because of how much I love their last two films, and like I said, Hellbender was literally my number two movie of 2022. If it wasn't for an incredibly psychotic, overly gory zombie masterpiece from Korea, it would have been my number one movie of 2022. I absolutely adored Hellbender. So back to Where the Devil Roams. This is their latest film where they play a family of sideshow performers that have a rather... Um, dark angle. I mean, the, the whole carny has a very dark angle. But this family basically, you know, does like a musical performance in the sideshow. And then one day, uh, the daughter of the family procures a certain cursed object. Um, I'll leave it at that for now. And then after procuring that cursed object, suddenly the family's sideshow changes um, a little bit, not drastically, but it, it definitely gets more into the morbid and the horror-centric uh, stuff. So um, I'm going to say this movie is still very good. It's still a very well-made movie. It, it's a decent story. It's not remotely the story that Hellbender is. Um, which is odd for me because I don't usually gravitate towards female-centric horror, but Hellbender really is one of the best mother-daughter stories I've seen in probably the last decade. I just I, I absolutely adored that film. All the themes, all the subtext, um, even the ending really did it for me. Where the Devil Roams, uh, unfortunately, leaves me a little bit flat. It's a very well-made movie, very well-performed. But the overall arc of this family, like this family's arc, just, I don't know, it just, it's not nearly as enjoyable as Hellbender. I don't want to put the movie down because it is still a very good movie, and I did see it on a couple of top ten lists from 2023, so it is obviously still a very highly regarded movie. It just didn't work for me as well as Hellbender did, so I'll ask my co-host now if any of you guys got a chance to see it, and if you did, what did you think, and does it compare to Hellbender or any of their past films? Uh, I will have by the time this goes live. It's uh, screening at a film festival I'm covering, but it, the embargo date is a, a few days from now. So um, as the current present time we're recording, not have seen it, but uh, by the time Mike gets done editing and uh, all that, um, I, I will have seen it just to uh, catch it up with the embargo. Nice. nice. Yeah, I haven't yeah. I, I haven't seen it yet because, like you said, it came out at the very end of 2023 when we were kind of cramming for list potential stuff. And I think, like, you had mentioned you were going to watch it, and then a day or two later I asked, like, should I cram it in? Because I think at that point I was pretty much done with 2023 unless, 
like someone reached out and was like, oh my god, you got to see this because like it's list worthy. And since you were kind of like lukewarm off that, I was like, all right, I'll just catch it, you know, sometime in 2024. I do plan to watch it because, like you said, I, I agree, Hellbender, I, I really did enjoy, and it it uh, definitely made me want to see what uh, what they were up to next. So, and the story it sounds interesting, like some type of like yes. circus carnival, carny family or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like turn of the century too. It's like turn of the century Carney, so you know, no modern day stuff. So it just adds that extra period piece element to it that I really enjoyed. Right. Yeah. So I do plan to get to it, and uh, you know, maybe it'll help. You know, with no pressure on to like, oh, is it a list movie or not? You know, just kind of going to watch it. We'll see. Um, but I, I am looking forward to watching it. Yep. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet either. I like yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely. It, I hate when they do that when they release a movie that looks like it might be really, really good right in like the last week of the year because a lot of people have already. Hell, some people have already recorded their top ten shows by the final week of the year. So, you know, it's re, it's really, really weird that they chose to release this movie when they did. But, you know, because it's going to get lost in the shuffle, at least when it comes to horror podcasters watching, you know, binge watching for to, to make their best of lists for the year. It, it seems like an odd time to release it, especially considering it's coming off the heels of Hellbender, which was on a lot of top people. Uh, excuse, excuse me. It was on a lot of people's top ten. So I am definitely surprised. Like even holding it back like a month and calling it like an early 2024 release. Hell, if this movie was released in 2024, it would be the number one movie of the year for me. And our our regular Fresh Cuts listeners know what the hell I'm talking about. 2024 has not been the greatest year so far. So yeah, if I was gonna say, it did get uh, dropped on Tubi um, the first Friday. Nice, nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I saw it on VOD, uh, like I said, that last week. I actually paid for it because, you know, it, again, it's the Adams Family, and I, I love their last two films, so I figured, you know, it, it, it might be a top ten candidate, so I'll give it a shot. But I, I don't regret buying it. Like I said, it is still a good film. It's just when you do something as just magical, no pun intended, uh, as Hellbender, um, it, it's going to be hard to follow up something like that, you know? It, it's like... Kubrick trying to follow up The Shining, you know, things like that. So um, still a very good movie. I still highly recommend people see it. Um, I just don't think it was really, at least for me personally, it was not list worthy. Still a good movie, though. Yeah. All right. I'll kick it over to Derek. What do you got up first? Okay. So the first movie I'm going to talk about is this little movie that I, I kind of saw a poster for this movie, and I wanted to check it out. It's uh, Lord of Misrule. I rented this on Voodoo <laughs> because I was, like, just curious on it. Uh, this is directed by William Brent Bell, who we've probably heard of. He directed movies like uh, – he just did Orphan, the second one that just came out. Fucking, uh, he did both boy movies. He directed Where. That werewolf movie we covered. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he also directed the infamous The Devil Inside. <laughs> so he's yeah. got a various fucking uh, filmography, like in horror genre. But it's uh, also written by Tom DeVille, who wrote the Irish horror movie, The Hollow, which I really dig too. 
so yeah, this is like a folk horror movie. It's about like this young minister that comes to like this town in Ireland or something. It's like a but this town like worships pagans. Pagan rituals and shit, and she's like the new like. Actually, she's the new what the fuck that guy was in Rawhead Rex, the hype man. What was his fucking position? Oh, the the verger. Yeah, she's the verger of this new town. Oh, nice. And, and they do like this a uh, big festival where they talk about like the folklore, you know, uh, legends, you know, of the harvest. And her daughter ends up going missing, and it kind of. Yeah, you kind of see where this is going to go, this type of movie. It, it's kind of formulaic in that sense. But uh, cool uh, aesthetical choices throughout it. I like the camera work and that and shit. And the soundtrack's kind of airy. And uh, Ralph Ennison plays like the main leader of the town folk that kind of goes against her. Like, you got to listen to our ways. This is our town, that kind of shit. And, you know, it goes deep into his character's past, too, which is kind of cool. And then the ending was kind of has a cool reveal to it. Uh, I'm not going to spoil for if nobody watched it yet. But uh, overall, yeah, it's a little over long-winded in that sense, too, where, you know, some of the stuff going on I've seen done in fucking millions of these movies at this point. But... Overall, if you're a fan of folk horror, I say check it out still. You know, in that sense. But, uh, yeah. It's not, like, the top ten movie of the year for me, but it was... I didn't hate it. It was a good watch for me. I really enjoyed The Hollow. I thought that was a great movie. Um, yeah. It actually, it actually did come close to my top ten that year. Probably, like maybe in the 14, 15 range, because I remember I didn't watch it when it first came out. I watched it towards the end of that year, and I was legitimately surprised at, like, how much I enjoyed it, like, you know, how well the family is portrayed and everything else. Yeah, I, I really dug it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Lord and Miss Ruby. Plus, it's cool that Ralph Anderson, like, during, like, the festival scenes, he wears, like, this full mask with, like, a – Corchester mask with a fucking Corchester hat on it. <laughs> it's freaking kind of sick. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it for what it was. Lord and Miss Rule. Magnet releasing, but that shit out. Still putting out some stuff. They pumping them out. <laughs> Getting those two releases a year out. Nice. Yeah, they used to release more than that back in the day. Oh, hell yeah. They used to fucking flood the market. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I don't think I've seen it, but I sounds like I need to though. Yeah, you. Yeah, um, I've seen the poster around. I I I haven't dived in yet, but um, yeah, I I saw the connections. And I was like, ooh, I I remember him. I was like, it it took me a while to like realize where I knew the name from. Because yeah, I remember seeing uh, the both um, boy movies too, and then I was kind of like, oh yeah, I remember that. So yeah, um, it, it's one I'm gonna. Uh, check out now that you know I, I finally finished all my yeah. 2023 stuff. But yeah, yeah I, I I know the poster of it because I've seen that Jester thing too. So yeah, that was kind of like one of the things that got caught me on. And then I saw the creative crew, and yeah, that was kind of like okay, I need to you know I'll move it up the list once I you know finally get all my stuff done. Yeah, I'm not, I'm kind of curious how you feel about it, John, because 
it, it some it does have like that kind of slow burnness to in like the middle of it, but then all the crazy shit happens at the end, and you know. But uh, yeah, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it for sure. And another thing about William Brent Bell that I didn't know about. He directed that fucking killer video game movie from the 2000s, Stay Alive. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. That was like his I first like movie. Killer. I like Stay Alive. I've always thought that one was underrated. Yeah, like like I said, it's crazy. Like, his filmography goes all over the fucking place. He's like yeah. the fucking Ang Lee of fucking horror. I don't think yeah. I've seen Stay Alive <laughs> since, like, the first time I saw it on cable. I remember, though, like, the premise was really cool. Like, there was some, I think, unfortunate, like bad special effects, but I, I didn't hate it or anything. Yeah, just, the unrated version's way better. Oh, shit. I don't think I've ever seen the unrated version. Yeah, you, you, it's hard to get now, because you can only get it in, like, DVD and shit. <laughs> Used. Uh, <laughs> uh, Alright. Uh, we'll kick it over to Dawn. What do you got up first? Alright, uh, yeah, so, um, I, I kind of hate to do this just, uh, first off, because, uh, the first one is, uh, the film that's not available yet. It's a, uh, festival release that, um, I managed to catch with, um, the website I write for, um, Asian Movie Pulse. Uh, this was one of the, the Asian, the, um, horror films that, uh, they assigned me just because I'm the only one there that, you know, watches it, but, uh, it's an upcoming film called Three. Uh, it's, um, actually, it ticks off of a very important list for me. Um, it's the first film from, uh, the United Arab Emirates that, um, I've ever seen. So, uh, it's a, another, you know, one of those countries I, I didn't know actually made horror movies. Um, and more importantly, it's actually done by a woman. So, um, a, a, you know, an Arab woman, uh, directing a horror film. So, uh, you know, yay for that. Um, Basically, it's a possession film, or I should say exorcism film. Um, I can basically tell you that, and you guys all know the plot. Guy starts acting, you know, the son starts acting weird. Mother takes him to the doctor, doesn't see anything wrong with it. Guy continues to act crazy. Locals suggest that he may be possessed, takes him to the healer, figures out that he is possession, and, you know, exorcism ensues from there. So, uh, you know, exorcism 101 you know, hits all the beats. We know what's going on. But, um, you know, first of all, again, this is a, a country that um, I, I don't know that there are any other films from, uh, from there. Um, I, I know a couple of the other surrounding areas. Um, I, I know Iran's done a couple. Um, I, I know maybe uh, I've heard Qatar has made one, but I don't know if it's ever been released other than, you know, a few select film festivals. But uh, from, uh, you know, the, you know, UAE or whatever, you know, uh, just whatever acronyms you want to use. Uh, it's the first film from there that I've ever seen. So, uh, you know, trying to, you know, just keep in mind that they're, you know, newcomers to the genre. And, you know, again, it's also a woman that's directing it. So, uh, you know, not to say that, you know, women can't make good horror films, but it's, you know, one of those where, you know, Arab country, Muslim background, you know, you can't really say that this isn't, you know, prestigious or, you you know, not without its, uh, you know, accolades or anything like that. But overall, I, I was really surprised that, uh, you know, it was as good as it is. Uh, you know, again, like I said, it's Exorcism 101. Everybody here knows the plot line to it. 
but it's uh, a few little incidental things, like uh, the inclusion of a um, Muslim-based um, exorcism scene. Uh, instead of, uh, you know, the Catholic one where, uh, you know, it's the priest shouting, you know, uh, in the name of God, I command thee out, uh, you know, kind of a thing. It's, you know, much more, you know, healing and prayers, uh, you know, based on, uh, you know, a Muslim faith. And it kind of adds a different intensity to those sequences just because they're slightly different from the norm. Uh, everything else up until then has been kind of, you know, par for the course. But, uh, you know, it's the... Muslim scenes itself, just because they're a different religion, so it, it you know, hits the same beats again. You see, you know, like a lot of the same familiar tropes and stuff, but because it has this uh, different touch with a uh, new religion, it, it kind of has like a, a slightly exotic feel to what's going on, even though you know what's, you know, where it's going, you know, what's happening. So it's easy to, you know, follow along, you know, the, the story's familiar, this, you know, Scenes are cliche, but it just because it adds the new, unique touch to it. It's you know, it has like a at least a somewhat memorable uh, you know experience overall. So, um, don't know anything about when it's uh, going to be released. I, I don't know it's uh, you know release schedule here for the states, but um, you know for the sake of uh, you know inclusivity, allowing women into you know the genre as a whole, and Furthermore, knocking off one more country um, for my world bingo, um, I'm now down to, I think, eight, which uh, I'm really proud of. Um, you know, there's eight countries that have made horror movies that um, I, I still need to see a film from. So uh, I'm really excited to uh, finish that off. But um, other than that, uh, you know, if you're into this kind of stuff, you know, Yes, you'll see everything coming. You'll know what's happening, but uh, in the event, it's still pretty fun. So, um, yeah, it it's called Three. Um, I won't spoil it. Um, it, it, it there is a uh, so like the Soulfly album. <laughs> no, That's not um, called the, Three technically. Yeah, <laughs> you, it, you know, <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, um, it's tantric yoga, right? It's yeah. The, the the symbol I think it's like one of the tantric symbols, right? That's why it's it's like that. I it think looks so. Like a yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, that's what I'm saying. I, I remember like he he put it there for a reason, and that's like what I was trying to get at is that the the three is named it's named specifically you know for a reason. So I'm not going to spoil that, but uh, you know, keep an eye. Seesaw on there too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, you know, if it comes out later in the year or you know next year, probably uh, you know just keep an eye out for it. Again, nothing revolutionary, but uh, a fun time if you enjoy this kind of thing. So um, oh, I'm just having yes. flashbacks. The Golden of Voyage and Sinbad. Uh oh, the power of Allah compels you. <laughs> no, that sounds. Uh, that definitely sounds like something that we yeah, can probably talk cool. about on Fresh Cuts. Yeah. If it gets an American release and we're still thinking about it and um, nothing major is coming out in theaters that week, I could definitely see us doing it. I mean, obviously, I love foreign horror. I've said it before. I'll say it again. And also, Don, uh, also, Don, definitely don't feel bad about bringing out movies, uh, bringing in movies that aren't out yet, because that's exactly what this segment is for. This segment is to let people to try to open some eyes and get more, you know, get more people to watch certain things that we've seen or maybe think or have been underwatched. So, yeah, I'm very happy with you bringing screeners. No, it's just one of those, um, you know, nobody can, you know, chime in about it because it's still on the festival circuit. That's kind of what I was getting at. 
Yeah. Well, that's how you build buzz. You got to build yeah. that buzz. And I mean, <laughs> I know, that's, just, honestly, I, I, I had never heard of it. So what I'm saying is that brought I, it up. It's now on my radar. It's just more, you know, trying to, you know, engage conversation. You can't really do that with a film nobody else has seen because it's on the festival circuit. But uh, I, I know what you're getting at, but I know why I said what I said. So. Oh, sure, sure. You say what you say, bud. All yeah. right. Well, for my first, right. uh, yeah, uh, my first one, I'm going to give Tubi some more buzz because this is <laughs> one I actually <laughs> randomly saw today while I was working. Uh, on Tubi, it goes by Hollywood Horror House, but the original title is Savage Intruder. And let me tell you, if you like bizarre, weird movies, this is one to put on your playlist. Uh, it, it came out in 1970, and you can see, like, the influence of movies like Psycho and, like, William Castle stuff that came after it, because this definitely has elements to it. It's obviously not as good. It's a little more weird. Um, but basically, the the setup is there's a there's an old—what what, kind of had me turn it on was when it said an aging actress living in her Hollywood mansion— um, for some reason, I thought of Ty West's ex and, like, the Pearl character of, like, oh, she she was, like, old and, you know, she never quite made it to Hollywood. And, yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, that's, that sounds kind of similar. Let me see what's going on here. And basically, she's, like, living out her final days and she hires uh, this young personal assistant that turns out to be mentally disturbed. And he's kind of, like, working a scheme to take uh, over the estate, which you don't know the entire time because she kind of gets the hots for him and wants to, like, get it on with him. And there's, like, all these other housekeeper people going on. And I was actually surprised, like, some of the kills are pretty decent for being 1970. It's it's practical effects, obviously. Uh, there's some weird surrealism going on. There's, like, almost psychedelic, like, dreams going on uh, involved with some of the kills when they when he gets flashbacks to like trauma and stuff he, uh, like it, it's just it, something about the 70s they play this bizarre stuff so super straight that it's you you can kind of get sucked into the story um i don't know like i'm sure there's gonna be people that would like watch this and they're not gonna rate it very high but i just i just love the bizarre aspects of it. Have, have any of you guys even seen this movie? No. I had the VHS for this once, but uh, I had no interest in trying it out. Um, <laughs> uh, when I, it was uh, the VHS I had um, years and years ago. Uh, I got it from a friend of mine. Um, it, he never kept his collection uh, in anything remotely resembling um, I, I guess you could say quality upkeep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he he gave me like half of his stuff when uh, he left for the uh, army. Um, he was a year before me, so when he went to the army, he gave uh, me his collection. And uh, he, he, I think he gave me like maybe close to like six or seven hundred tapes. Um, he he brought it over like one day after school, and he had like three or four like boxes full of stuff, and just like dumped it off in my house. And uh, I remember the cover for this one. Um, it was under uh, the original title. I, I think it was said it was like the Slaughter. Uh, Savage Intruder was. Yeah, Savage Intruders. Yeah, because um, I, I remember that. Um, yeah, uh, I didn't want to tempt it. Um, the um, 
what was it the the plastic parts on the back the the white um spinner things those mm-hmm. things were like almost rusted shut so <laughs> i i didn't want to tempt it um uh, believe me that's like one of the better um that's one of the better conditions that uh, he gave me something to give you to give you a hint um it, it, the plastic spinners on the back were rusted shut that was in good condition so um oh, it, wow. let that be yeah let that be a you know warning to what kind of you know crappy dumped on me but um i i remember seeing that but i i've never been able to you know tempt putting that in the player um a couple of the stuff he gave me actually did uh get eaten by my uh, vcr or my rewinder after i watched it so uh it's been one where I've, you know, been wanting to track it down. I, I didn't know it was on Tubi, so I'll have to give it a give it a watch just to, you know, finally see it. Yeah, it's Woo! um, it's definitely on Tubi as Hollywood Horror House. So I initially today I just added it to my list because I wasn't intending to watch it, and then I was like looking at the clock. I was like, yeah, I still got enough time at work to throw something on, and I usually. When I'm watching stuff during work in the background, I kind of aim for stuff that, like, I don't intend to have to, like, pay 100% attention to. And uh, as this movie was going, I was just like, yeah, it's actually not that bad. And uh, I think it's because it borrows from so many elements of better movies, obviously. But then um, you can also, like, see, like, some modern movies that, like, have similar... uh, plot twists and story elements in it too so overall i thought it was like much better than i expected it to be for like just a random uh random grab off tubi but yeah that's that's my first one hollywood horror house aka savage intruder nice (laughs) back to you venom all right so as we are recording this episode it is the friday before the super bowl february 9th uh, two days before the Super Bowl, and opening today in theaters is a brand new horror comedy from um, writer Diablo Cody. So with, and that is of course Lisa Frankenstein. Now I'm not talking, I'm not bringing Lisa Frankenstein up here because that is potentially a future a Fresh Cuts episode. Uh, on top of the fact I haven't seen the movie yet by any stretch. So, um, but in anticipation of Lisa Frankenstein. I decided to give a 15-year overdue rewatch to another Diablo Cody written horror comedy. Oh, boy. And that is, yeah, and that is, of course, 2009's Jennifer's Body. Now, I saw Jennifer's Body in theaters back in 2009, and I'm going to be honest, I, I didn't like it. I was not a big fan. I thought the story was kind of stupid. I thought a lot of Jennifer's uh, decisions throughout the movie were kind of dumb and vapid. I, I even thought the character of Jennifer before she goes through her change was just a not very likable character. Like, why should I care about this woman after she goes through her trauma? Because she's such a just shitty person before that. And there's other issues I have with yeah, with the movie, the band's motivation, um, the end of the movie, just I, I, I ended up with a lot of issues with it after seeing it that first time. But as I said, that was the only time I had watched it. And then over the years, I hear more podcasters giving the movie love and especially um, the Faculty of Horror out of Canada. Um, that podcast absolutely adores that movie. I mean, they call it a modern classic. 
So I decided that with the release of Lisa Frankenstein this week, I would go ahead and revisit Jennifer's body, try to clear my mind of any opinions I had about it after watching it the first time. Because ultimately, you know, 15 years is a long time. You know, we, we, you know, we, we age, our opinions change, the way we look at cinema and art in general changes in 15 years. So I figured, let me give it another shot. Well, folks, I am here to report I still don't like Jennifer's body. <laughs> I watched it uh, just a couple of nights ago. And the same problems that I had with the story back in 2009, I still have those same problems with the story. Now, I understand that this is kind of an empowering um, female-centric story, and maybe I just don't get it. Maybe, you know, the fact that I have a penis between my legs kind of impedes me from understanding what is so great about this movie. Um, and there are, there are positive things. There's some great kills. I think Jennifer looks great when she attacks people. Yeah, it's very obviously CGI, but... You know, for, for the time period, it wasn't bad-looking CGI, so I accept it. Um, I do feel like the movie could have used a little bit more gore. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of just of Jennifer's attacks. But like I said, as I'm watching it this time, I'm like, well, that's stupid. That's stupid. And then the fact the fact that Jennifer, and I'm, I'm getting into spoilers a little bit here. I'm going to try to stay as ambiguous as possible for those who haven't seen it, because I'm sure there's still a lot of you out there. The fact that Jennifer never wants to go after the band for what they did to her just is one of the fakest things in the whole fucking movie. It just bugs the absolute shit out of me. And, and then when we finally get to the end of the movie and get our big scene where uh, the true antagonists of the film get their comeuppance, we don't even get to fucking see it. It happens during the closing credits, and all we get are some still images here and there. Um, I'm sorry, folks. Count me as one of the people who just doesn't understand Jennifer's body. I don't understand how this is a female-centric, empowering story, because Jennifer is such an unlikable character. Now, if you're talking about her friend Needy, then okay. But even Needy isn't necessarily this bastion of light either she's just kind of a normal girl trying to live through her life not really understanding why the hottest girl in her school is her best friend and has been their entire life and then even during the final confrontation between needy and jennifer there's information exchanged during that conversation that's like what the fuck why have you been friends if you felt this way about each other all this time this fucking movie i'm sorry it just doesn't make sense to me unless the point of the story is that women are fake and they try to play a character that they're tr truly not just to make friends then okay but yeah it, it's gonna take like a, a scholastic female cinephile to explain the greatness of jennifer's body because i've now watched it twice and i don't like it i don't like it i don't get it i hate jennifer i hate almost everyone in the movie there are so few likable characters in this movie for me it's pretty much jk simmons and and needy's boyfriend and that's about it yeah they so, definitely I mean, need more jk simmons with his hook yeah with his hook hand and that, that was terrible the best part of the movie Oh, and we never get an explanation on the hook hand. Oh, All we get is, movie. I've seen some shit. You know, he just tells the class, I've seen some shit in my life. And then he hands out the papers with a hook hand. I'm like, oh, that that's the most brilliant scene in the whole fucking movie. Like, I will applaud Diablo Cody for that one. But, 
like I said, overall, I, I know Mike is a bigger fan of this movie than I am. So, Mike, please chime in. What am I not understanding about Jennifer's body? Well, I definitely like it more than you, but being as it, I haven't seen it in a long-ass time either, it's hard to, like, dispute your points. I, when I, uh, from memory, from watching it, um, I guess overall my takeaway was, like, it was a kind of another uh, dark, dark, or maybe not dark, but, like, cynical look at, like, the high school experience, and then this one, maybe being a female in, in high school, um... I definitely think it was more – it's weird because the movie is called Jennifer's Body, and, and uh, Megan Fox was probably like the it girl at the time, even though I think from memory watching the movie, it's really more Amanda Seyfried. I, uh, yeah. Her, yeah. That's the actress that played – what was her name? Needy? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really more her movie, so I think even the fact that it's called Jennifer's Body might throw people off when they learn that the – the movie's actually more about her friend. Um, yeah, like I said, it's harder to speak your points because it's actually been a while since I've seen it. I tend to like I, maybe I just have a soft spot for like the the more kind of like almost uh, dark or black comedy takes on high school, um, which is weird because like I had a pretty normal high school experience, you know. Like I wasn't I wasn't like the most popular, but I wasn't like an outcast. I was kind of like in that middle generic group of oh, like so it wasn't people. like John Tucker must die? <laughs> yeah, no. Like my, my high, like my high school experience, it wasn't a John Hughes movie, but it also wasn't Heather's. I, I'm like somewhere in between of just like I kind of just You're standing through. deliver. <laughs> You're lean on me. That's that's the real lean on me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to the real life East Side High. No. Um, Mr. Clock take my life and crack. <laughs> some guys trying to beat up Kid Ray. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'd have to watch it again, too, to, like, get a little more up-to-date on, like, what my thoughts are on it. I just remember – I remember back then the movie got a lot of hate, and I was kind of like the opposite of Animal. I was like, I don't understand why everyone hates it. Like, even if they don't particularly like it or think it's that good, I thought it was getting an undue amount of hate. But I also remember – that some people just had a Diablo Cody thing where they just didn't like her writing style. They thought she was a lot of style over substance at the time, so maybe that played into it. But I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe before we record next, which hopefully won't take this long, I'll watch it and then report back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, despite all the negative things I've said about the movie, I, I, I'm a little – I tend to get a little overboard sometimes. I don't hate the movie. I, I don't. I don't hate the movie. I – both times I've watched it, I, I don't want to say that I regretted the hour and 45 minutes that I spent with it. Not necessarily. Yeah, like I said, there's some good kills. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a long one. <laughs> that's, what I, that's another thing. I don't think it really needs to be that long for this, you know, very basic There's only story. one second of Lance Hendrickson? That's bullshit. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a waste of Lance Hendrickson at the end. So it's, yeah, just, I don't know. Yeah, um, it's funny like because said, when, it com- when it comes to Diablo Cody, like, the movie that, like, I think across the board everyone thinks is great is the one I'm, like, lukewarm on, which is, uh, it's not a horror movie, but Juno, the one with Ellen. I hate Juno. Kate. I hate I, Juno. Yeah, I never, I didn't think it was a I didn't, I didn't like movie I just was, like, I thought it was kind of mid, and but it was, like, like praised a lot. Young Adult was all right. The Charlize Theron one. 
It had a funner cast in my. It had like a more adult cast too, so that's why I probably, you know, like Charlize Theron, Patton Oswalt, Patrick Wilson. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. the thing. Diablo Cody's writing tends to be very youthful. It tends to have a lot more younger characters, and I'd, I'd really like to see her tackle more adult. I mean, yeah, even though she is tackling adult themes, she's tackling them through the guise of teenagers. Yeah, and it's like you know, it, it's cool and everything, but I mean, we have enough teen-oriented horror movies. How about, how about giving us some adult-oriented ones? You know. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it just feels like it's all I've watched in 2024 is teen-oriented horror films. Night Swim. <laughs> Night Swim. Uh, Maybe she'll do a sequel, neighbors. Jennifer Goes yeah. to University. Oh, Ghoulies. Jesus. Jennifer's Body versus Ghoulies Go to College. <laughs> yeah. And, and folks, despite all the negative things I've said about Jennifer's Body, there are some really – there are positives. I mean, obviously. The kiss Some people – some people, eh, stop it, shut up. If I want to watch women kiss, there's a million hours of free porn on the internet. I don't hey, need it in my horror movie. Hey, that's actually, hey, to be fair, man, the only three things I remember about this movie is J.K. Simmons' hook hand, the kiss, <laughs> and Lance Henriksen's in the end. <laughs> well, I mean, you're remembering some of the best stuff about the movie. But, yeah, like I said, the, even that scene with the kiss, because right after the kiss is when Jennifer tells the, relays the story to Needy about what happened to her that night. And we don't actually get to hear it because do you guys remember – I don't know if you guys remember, but do you remember that it was Needy who told the band Jennifer was a virgin? Oh, it was Needy that told the band that Jennifer was the virgin, which then made the band turn around and do all the shit that they did to her. There's no realization of that in this movie, and that bothers the fuck out of me. Like, like especially Needy, because Needy is a very guilt-ridden person. She's kind of wishy-washy, soft-spoken, blah, blah, blah. I I want that fucking scene. I want the scene where Needy realizes, oh, shit, this is all my fucking fault. Literally all my fault, and they don't address that in the movie, and that's a major faux pas to me. So, I don't know. Like I said, Jennifer's Body is not a bad movie. It's just I don't like this story. I don't like the basic story. I don't like all the holes in the plot. I don't like. I don't like that the band still found success even though they fucked up. Yeah, like, fuck I, Adam just, Brody. I, yeah, I just yeah, the whole movie just kind of is a big middle finger to people like me who like concise, you know, and clear storytelling with likable characters, both antagonists and protagonists. Just because somebody's an antagonist doesn't mean that they're not a likable antagonist. Um, and, and when I say likable, I don't mean you want to hang out with them and drink a beer. I'm saying that they're good at what they do. They're a good villain. You know what I mean? That's what I mean by likable. You like them as the villain of this movie. And Jennifer's body to me just really, really provides me with very, very little enjoyment. And if, you know, again, if you're going to talk about how hot Megan Fox is, again, may I introduce you to Pornhub? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm the kind of guy, and, and I know I'm, you know, a minority in this particular thing. I'm the kind of guy who has never needed nudity in my horror movies. 
Maybe when I was 15 and that's the only way I could see a pair of titties was in like a Friday the 13th movie or something. That's one thing. But I'm a fucking 50 plus year old adult right now. I could literally, my phone is right here next to me. I could literally open up my phone and find the most debaucherous porn you've ever heard of in less than five minutes. Why the fuck do I need gratuitous nudity in my horror movies, you know? And I don't know how the hell we even got to this topic, but yeah, that's just, you know, kind of the way I've been. I don't need tits in my, I'm not Brian Sammons. Like Brian Sammons, he needs his in his horror movies, which is fine. Again, I'm not knocking the opinion. What I'm saying is I don't need nudity in my horror movies. I need good storytelling. I need good direction. I need good editing. One thing I will say, another thing I'll say about Jennifer's body, fucking score is a banger. That score is fucking great. Like, I could just listen to this score and not watch the movie. It is fucking awesome. Like, not just the metal stuff, because obviously I'm a metalhead, but even the non-metal stuff, it fits in all the scenes that it's used in so well. So, you know, I'll still say bravo for the score and bravo for other positive aspects of the film, but just overall... I'm just not very high on Jennifer's body. But like I said, folks, if you're a fan of Jennifer's body, and especially if you're a female out there who's probably cursing me right now, by all means, hit me up, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Explain to me what I'm missing about Jennifer's body because I'm not trying to be a jerk here. I really want to know. Like, I want to know what I'm missing because maybe then I'll like it more. Maybe, Maybe there's like a key thing about this movie that I'm missing that I'm not understanding. Um, you know, I, I can already hear like Lacey Lou and maybe Rebecca Reinhardt uh, hitting me up and all right, all right, let me educate you and <laughs> tell you exactly what you're missing about Jennifer's body. I don't know, but I look forward to it. I, I, I welcome it. I want to like Jennifer's body. I really do. But as of right now, I don't. So eh, I guess I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> How do I reach these kids? <laughs> All right, let's toss it back to Derek for his second pick. Okay, yeah. What do I got? Look at right here. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the original OG, Frederick Marsh. It's got the Blu-ray in from Warner Archive. Print looks great. It's a classic. Uh, you know, it was kind of like a, against type back then in the day because Frederick Marsh was a Comedic, mostly known for like his comedies, and then he took this role as Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and uh, it's a great performance. You know, I can see why he won the Oscar back in the day playing this character, and it's it's a great little movie. You know, I actually kind of like the makeup effects. You know, because you know in the other one that they did with Spencer Tracy, they didn't really use much makeup on Spencer Tracy; they just made his ear. It looked like Jack Albertson and Willy Wonka. <laughs> you know, but uh, I like that he's kind of like, like, grotesque. Like, he wears, like, Austin Powers teeth, Mr. Hyde. It's, <laughs> it's pretty great. And, you know, very airy. I like the, how it opened up where, like, you see it from his point of view, the movie, and then it goes. And then there's this whole subplot with, like, the hooker character, which I found interesting. It's kind of a kind of, again, tried to redo that in the Spencer Tracy one, but it was kind of fucking overlong. Uh, but yeah, it's actually one of the better adaptations of the source material by Robert Louis Stevenson. And 
I say everyone should check it out. Old movies are awesome. Uh, admittedly, it's been a very long time since I've seen the original Jekyll and Hyde, but I do remember always every adaptation of that story I've ever seen. I, I mostly enjoy. Like I love that story. Yeah. So and the OG is one of the best. So yeah, totally agree with Derek. How about you, Mike? You ever see it? No, I oh, have dude. not. Damn it! We're gonna do what it. Hell's wrong with me. <laughs> We're doing it. I'm I, picking it. I got another one for the list, though. And maybe for the <laughs> show, according to Derek. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we should do, a, like, a 1920s horror show. Yeah, pick a couple of great 20s horror movies. That'd be awesome. Yeah, Jekyll and Hyde and Mystery of the Wax Museum. Ooh, That's or Fa- Phantom. Or we could do my favorite uh, uh, silent movie, The Phantom Carriage. Yeah. Ooh, sexy. <laughs> yeah. I could find some Peter Lorre movies. <laughs> That's your yeah. spirit animal. <laughs> uh, all right, Don, what do you got up next? All right, um, so hopefully this one will be a, a little bit more um, accessible. Um, my next one is uh, one of the last films I watched uh, for, uh, well, the last ones I'm going to mention are uh, the last two films I watched for uh, 2023 prep to finish off my list. And uh, this was one I I wanted to get to. It seemed right up my alley, and I was on board with it for most of it. But at the end, it kind of fell a little flat for me. Um, I went with uh, Slother House. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I really, 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 really wanted to absolutely love this. And instead, it falls a little short. Um, I I don't know if uh, any of you guys have seen it, but... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically what goes on is a uh, woman wants to be the, um, you know, queen of her sorority. She wants to win, you know, the upcoming presidential election. You know, the queen, you know, the head of the, you know, house. And she goes up against this rival of hers that's sort of tormented her for years and, you know, puts her down because she's uh, a newbie. But the, you know, the girl wants to, you know, make friends, be the one to get to the position. And she ends up coming into contact with this uh, shady animal dealer who ends up giving her the, well, she doesn't, he doesn't end up giving her, she ends up rescuing um, for uh, reasons that uh, I will best left unexplained. Uh, she comes into possession <laughs> of a um, sloth and uh, tries to use it as the um, mascot for her running campaign, only for a string of bodies to show up um, around the sorority house that uh, ends up being the result of the titular killer. Now, ordinarily, I would be all in for this kind of bonkers, wacko, bizarre kind of film. I mean, it's it, there's so much about this thing that just screams it's right up my alley. But, yeah, I, I wasn't as invested in this one as I wanted it to be. Um, I, I think I wanted it to be to just absolutely go full on batshit insane. And the movie tries to be too serious when it doesn't need to be. Um, the the stocking scenes with the sloth itself are, you know, it, it, it's a, uh, well, I'll say this, it's an admittedly damn cute puppet, and I would want to own, own that particular sloth myself. But they make the thing 
feel more like a genuine slasher villain. Like it uses shadows, it uses, you know, mm-hmm. the, the element of surprise. And it, it tries to have like genuinely suspenseful moments, but it's a film about a sloth killing people. So <laughs> why is it trying to, you know, be, you know, straightforward and serious and, you know, have this raining thunderstorm out in the middle of, no, you know, the campus when, you know, you're trying to deal with the sloth killing people. They, it just, you know, like feels totally bizarre with that. And then you get this absolutely asinine reasoning of making the film PG-13. Like, why on earth would you do a concept this bizarre and neuter your one main reason of enhancing it by having just these gonzo wacko kill scenes done off camera or, you know, hidden by, you know, bizarre angles or whatever, just to try to get the, you know, keep the, you know, appropriate rating. It it just didn't work for me. And then I, I, I don't know if any, I've never seen anybody else realize this, but there's so many plot holes and just absolutely, I, I don't know what, what went wrong, but the the story to this makes no sense. How none of these people realize that these deaths have been going on for weeks on end, and I I, I thought way too much about this one, and I, I didn't want to do that. And I, I just wanted, you know, cute creature does unnatural things that just happen to involve killing people, and it 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 looked like that was from what I've seen about it, but it, it just didn't deliver. And I, I, I wasn't a fan of it. It was, I, I wanted it to be, you know, like one of my favorite horror comedies of the year, but it didn't even make my list. So yeah, I was kind of disappointed at it, but uh, yeah, I, like I said, it was right up my alley, but I just didn't deliver. So I was kind of disappointed. Damn. Yeah. If you uh, think I'm right there with Doug. I'm scared. You watch it. I, I actually was lucky or unlucky enough to see Slaughterhouse in theaters. Um, it actually played out here in L.A. for a week at some independent theaters. Um, at the time, I didn't have much much better to do. so I, I And I knew the movie looked stupid. I mean, I, I don't watch trailers. Most people know I don't watch trailers. But based just on the fact uh, that it's a PG-13 movie and then looking at the movie poster, I'm just like, oh, this is going to be terrible. But I went and saw it. And unfortunately, the movie is just not terrible enough. You know, and I, like Don is right. This movie is not over the top the way it should be. And if you're going to do a horror comedy like this where you've got a very non-deadly animal doing deadly things, how do you not make it an over-the-top gore fest? Like, th- this thing should have been cocaine bear times five. And instead, well, I'd probably just make the thing act normal. I'd probably put it at regular speed. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. It just yeah, it should be like Cemetery Gates. <laughs> and and uh, I also agree with Don that, yeah, at certain parts of the movie, they try to get really serious. Like the score gets really somber and the film style, like the filming style looks like they're really trying to frame this great dramatic scene. But it's fucking Slaughterhouse. Like, that's not what we wanted. It's not what we came on board for. You know, I mean, Cocaine Bear at least delivered on what the title promised. And Slaughterhouse, yeah, I'm right there with Don. It just was not over the top enough, not gory enough, not funny enough. Just, yeah, another very lacking horror comedy from 2023, which is too bad because 
I'm right there with Don. I love these absurd horror movies, you know? I mean, I'm right there with Don on uh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. I, I fucking love that movie, you know? Exactly. I'm not yeah. going to sit here and say it's a quote-unquote great movie. Not at all. But it checks <laughs> off all the boxes that I want out of a movie awesome. called Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I actually agree. I did. I have seen it, and it was just okay. Like I thought, if you're going to make a movie like this, you kind of have to go over the top and make it crazy. I didn't. I don't even think I realized going in that it was only PG-13, which didn't help matters. Yeah, I didn't either. I I, I didn't know that. Yeah, either. I, didn't know that. I I just saw it, and it, it just suddenly dawned on me. And it's like, has anybody cursed here? Like, what's going on? And, and yeah, I remember looking it up, and it was like, oh yeah, okay, this is PG thirteen. It's not just me. Yeah, yeah. It looks like our friend uh, Carly, her movie Crackoon, is gonna have to save us. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> at least I have faith that Crackoon at least is gonna be over the top enough that it'll be fun. So I know the director personally. You'll you'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. That's a that's what I'm looking for. You know, if you're gonna give me a movie called Crackoon. Then fucking give me that crack coon. Give me exactly what I'm expecting, and yeah, I fully, I have full the, faith they will. So yeah, I've talked to the director in the past. He's he's a friend of mine. I've interviewed him actually, and yeah, he, I know he's going to deliver. Awesome, nice, nice. All right. So I guess from the absurd to kind of the the serious, I actually. Uh, Got a chance. So this movie was late 2023, but my city did not get a screening until early this year. Uh, it was actually a couple weeks ago that I went and saw it at our local indie theater. This one's kind of kind of be like a tightrope of like whether it's considered horror or not. I would say it's definitely a chilling movie. I don't know if I would call it traditionally horror, although there's it's like uh, you ha the way you have to explain it, it's like there's definitely horror going on at all times but anyways it's called zone of interest and yeah so basically this movie the backdrop of it is the holocaust um but it's not your typical holocaust movie like uh schindler's list or something where you, you know we're constantly witnessing all the atrocities going on no this oh this is more about uh, the people that kind of like live side by side with the atrocities going on and the duality of knowing that like, hey, my like I'm living my life just fine, but there's these terrible things going on over there and how you can kind of compartmentalize that and almost like justify it in a way of like it's, it's not happening to me. So, you know, you kind of block it out. Um, this, this movie does a good job of like um, – it, it 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 follows a family who the father the 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 patriarch of the family he's like a like a high ranking um, Nazi official for one of the concentration camps um, and basically he goes off every day and he's in charge. This is going to sound horrible, but it, I mean it's factually accurate because they use like an actual. Uh, guy that was that was part of the Nazi army. They, he's trying to come up, or they passed him as part of the team that's trying to come up with like more uh, efficient incinerators. Because I think the timeline of when this is taking place is like it's on the kind of on the back end of things. They know 
that the tide is kind of turning in World War II, so they're trying to, like, speed up, like, the uh, genocide going on. So they're trying to figure out, like, well, how can we keep these crematorium things going, like, 24-7 because we we have, like, you know, well, every every so often, like, the family's out there playing, the kids are playing, and you hear, like, a train going by, and obviously you know the train is full of, like, Jewish people that are, like, being sent to the concentration camps. But... It's, but like I said, it's not like the typical movie that you're going to see. It's just more of the sounds going on. You'll, you might hear, like, gunshots or you might hear, like, faint screaming going on. Because, it, but And we all know as viewers, we know enough, at least I hope we all do, of the atrocities of the Holocaust. That anytime something like that comes up in a movie, we know exactly what's happening. And you're almost kind of sitting there watching a movie with, like, a... It's like the look on your face, like you want, you still want someone to like just speak up and like do something, but you know history already tells us that really didn't happen until literally war took place. But whether or not you consider like this a, a capital H horror movie or not, I think it's an excellent movie. If if I had to make a top ten like just overall movies of 2023, this would have definitely been on there. But uh, one, I didn't even see it till after we did our top ten show anyway. And two, I I think you know it, it's too it was too borderline of it. But has anyone else seen Zone of Interest yet? Because it only hit my indie theater. I'm sure Venom. I don't know if you've yeah. seen it, but you probably indie, got it like months that's ago. That's indie my ass. That that thing played in like twelve fucking theaters near me. I'm surprised you only got like an indie release where you were. Okay, two things. Two things. One, Zone of Interest is one of the best fucking movies of 2023, bar none. Um, I would not be surprised if it won the Oscar for Best Picture, but we all know that boring-ass Oppenheimer is probably going to win everything, but Zone of Interest was way, a way better film for me. Number two, why the fuck did Mike bring it to No More Room in Hell? <laughs> I mean, horror adjacent. I, 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 I mean, because then you got then you got to say shit like Schindler's List is horror adjacent. Boys in the striped pajamas. Thank you. Uh, you know, it, it, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about horror adjacent. It's a horrible situation. Absolutely. I mean, the horrors of war are exactly that horrors, but. I don't know. I, I don't know about it being a horror movie. I, I agree with Mike. It is absolutely one of the best movies of the year. It it floored me. It absolutely fucking floored me. This movie was an experience, to say the least. Um, I try to make it a point to watch all the Best Picture nominations every year after they're announced. The ones that I haven't seen already, you know, by the time they're announced. And, yeah, Zone of Interest is one that I just caught, like, a couple of weeks ago. And holy shit. It really is um, a depressing, moving, powerful movie. Legitimately a very powerful film. Why the hell we're talking about it here is beyond me. <laughs> Why not? Hey, we just I need the space to talk about one of the best movies of last year. That's what year. I was going to say. Mike must, have, Mike must have ran out of horror movies to talk about. <laughs> so he's going he's gonna to bring in all the really good dramas now. <laughs> to, to your point, though, about um, seeing the movie, I noticed that, like, it's this is a time of year too that like all the best picture nominees or even just movies that have been nominated for whatever reason, either they get a re-release at the multiplex or some of like the art house theater movies now get that um, 
multiplex uh, run. So for people out there that like, because it, it, it's always bound to happen every year when the Oscars announce their, especially now because I, I think they expanded to the ten. There's always going to be at least fifty percent where people are like, "Hey, this shit never even played in my theater." But now's the time of year when even like the Regals and the AMC's. In in all cities, start getting them to do for like the last Oscar push. So stuff like this, Anatomy Anatomy of a Fall, Poor Things, maybe American Fiction, like all those non horror uh, things that I that really we're talking about right now. Playing everywhere, yeah. So go see them, folks. Go see them. So uh, Venom. Let's get back to you for round three. All right. So the last movie I'm going to bring to the table is going to be the first 2024 movie I'm bringing to the table. And it's the only 2024 movie I could really bring because it's the only one that we haven't already talked about on Fresh Cuts or are about to talk about, you know, uh, next week. This is an indie horror um, written and directed by Scott Lamson. Uh, It's a weird, weird fucking movie. The name of the movie is Arctic Hollow. Um, it kind of starts out with um, a guy trying to rescue a stranded researcher, and then in the process of rescuing that researcher, they end up coming across fucking dinosaurs. I'm not joking, folks. Dinosaurs. And these are some of the worst, and I'm not exaggerating, some of the worst CG dinosaurs I have ever seen. Think back to the worst CG dinosaur that you could possibly think of in your head from a movie or a video game or uh, a TV show, and I guarantee these dinosaurs were worse. Uh, they they were laughably bad. It literally made the movie into a comedy because the movie is not a horror comedy in any way, shape, or form. It's a very serious horror adventure film. But once we get to the antagonist, how anybody can keep a straight face is beyond me. It is so laughably bad. Um, it just completely takes you out of the movie. That's if you ever even get into the movie. Because, again, we're talking about a very micro-budget independent film. So, again, we're not getting the greatest acting. Um in fact, we just did an independent horror film on Fresh Cuts. It, it'll be our next episode, actually. That movie is ten times better than Arctic Hollow. Arctic Hollow, this thing, and I actually paid to watch this. It was a 99-cent rental on Amazon Prime. It was it was like the second or third week of January, and I, I was looking for 2024 stuff to watch. I had already watched all the, the, the new stuff on Tubi and everything else. I saw this on Prime for 99 cents. It's only an hour and 10 minutes long, so I'm like, well, why the hell not? I'll try it. Oh. And, yeah, I, I regretted it completely. It's, I mean, I, that's probably the only 99 cents that this movie made. <laughs> I just, It's just not anything I can recommend. I mean, The Asylum would be Oscar-worthy compared to what this movie was that I watched. Like, Please literally, stop. It's so hard <laughs> thinking of a movie. <laughs> like I don't, I don't even know if Don could pull enjoyment out of this movie. I mean, he might because you know Don and I both like you know indie, low budget stuff. But this was very slow paced, very dull, very bad acting. And then once the dinosaurs show up, it it's an absolute comedy. And even watching the actors react to seeing the dinosaurs is almost a comedy. So, um, and they're not, I'm calling them dinosaurs because they kind of look like raptors. I don't think they were actual dinosaurs. They were some kind of 
you know, primal creature that was thought to be extinct, and then they found it in this cave system, but they look like raptors. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to call it a dinosaur because that's what it looks like. But, yeah. So, my friends, Arctic Hollow is Mr. Venom's turkey of the week. Arctic Hollow swallows towels. <laughs> yeah, just uh, th- this is definitely an avoid. And please save your 99 cents. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, well, it sounds like, fortunately, I don't have anything to say about it, because I haven't seen it, so. Yeah. Yeah, no no human eyes should watch this movie. (laughs) Human eyes. Oh, man. All right, Derek, what do you got up for round three? Okay, so I kind of caught up for some 2023 movies that I didn't get to see. And I finally saw Thanksgiving. Woo! Not on oh, Thanksgiving. Nice. I liked it. It was pretty good. I liked the kills. The fucking... The first... Like, the whole Black Friday scene was fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could definitely see, like, some... His influences in this one. Like, My Bloody Valentine. Even, like... Some of like the other things that are going. My my favorite like change from the trailer was the whole parade scene because it actually made it more interesting when you know yeah. you see a certain scene that was in the trailer happen. But I wasn't expecting it because I was expecting the pilgrim outfit. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, that's different. That's cool. Yeah, I liked it. Patrick Dempsey, McDreamy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, Good yeah, stuff. Thanksgiving was awesome. We talked about it on Fresh Cuts. I, I'm pretty sure Don had it pretty high in his top ten as well. Um, yeah, probably, probably, yeah, yeah, probably one of the best slashers of 2023. I mean, definitely the most fun, great kills, good story, great mask. I mean, the John Carver mask, especially after he burns it, I thought that mask was fucking menacing as hell. Oh, after that he burned scene. it on the oven. Yeah, the oven scene, mm-hmm. exactly. I wish the trampoline scene was a little bit more visceral. Um, I, I don't know. I just I just feel like that should have been a way bloodier scene uh, based on, you know, the impact of the cheerleader on the knife. But they kind of dubbed it down a little bit in the movie because uh, the cheerleader doesn't even get naked. She gets naked in the trailer. She does yeah. not in the movie. So, you know, a little mildly disappointing. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's after I just sat here and said I don't need – boobs in my horror movies, but it still was kind of a weird choice. I'm sure it wasn't Eli Roth's choice. I'm sure that was a studio decision more than anything. But, um, yeah, uh, Thanksgiving is definitely the movie that It's a Wonderful Knife wanted to be. Like It's a Wonderful Knife is such a pale um, version of a good uh, original slasher compared to Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving just absolutely destroys It's a Wonderful Knife. Um, and yeah, like I said, one of the best slashers of 2023 can't be denied fun and we're getting a sequel. So I'm excited for that too. So rock on. (laughs) Finally, Eli Roth makes a movie I like. Woo. (laughs) It only took him 25 years. (laughs) Yeah. I remember when the movie first started, I I was a little questionable on like them changing the grindhouse aesthetic to like more like a 90s slasher. But once the movie gets going, I kind of like let off on caring so much about it. It was just, it was just a little surprising at first because I didn't really see a trailer, um, not because I don't watch trailers, but I already kind of knew like 
what the movie was going to be for the most part. If this was made by the Weinsteins, it would still be grindhouse is all hell. That's the thing, you know, because... I mean, has, they, did the same, they did the same thing with Machete. Machete doesn't have that kind of grainy grindhouse look to it. They polished it up, and I think Weinstein was still around when Machete came out. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I think any movies that we're going to get based on grindhouse trailers you know those specific grindhouse trailers i don't think they're going to stick to that aesthetic like rob zombie might if he were to make one of those like if he were to make what was it uh, werewolf, werewolf the, yeah uh, werewolf women of the ss exactly oh, like if, if maybe if like rob zombie were to make that movie he would keep the 70s aesthetic but i think anybody else they're they're gonna clean it up and make it look nice i mean because it's gonna play right in theaters notes. you know yeah, exactly. But, I mean, I agree with you. I would have loved to have seen that 70s aesthetic. I mean, I would have preferred the movie actually be based in the 70s, but since it's based in modern day, I don't think they really had much of a choice. But it's not really – I mean, it's a minor gripe more than anything since, like I said, it was my favorite slasher, potentially my favorite slasher of the last year. The Walmart was great. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Ah, great movie. Glad you finally got to see it. <laughs> All right, Dawn, what's what's up for you for number three? All right, um, so I'm going to end up pulling a uh, audible here, and uh, I'm kind of going to change my movie at the last second just based on uh, Venom's uh, recommendation just because I I, I want to go with a cheesy creature feature that's actually good. Yay! And no, I, I'm just saying I, I had a different movie that I was going to talk about, but I'm going to go with a better one. Uh, I didn't want to double up because it was, uh, you know, back-to-back double cheesy creature features, but I figured now is the time to actually talk about the good one, and yeah. that was Bad CGI Gator. Ah, I've, I've heard so much about it. <laughs> it. It's a lot of fun. I really liked it. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, a full moon film. Uh, it's oh, one of boy. Their, uh, yeah, it's one of their recent films. Um, I, I know the name. I don't know um, the director, uh, Danny Draven. I don't know if anybody's uh, familiar with him, but uh, he did a lot of uh, Full Moon back in the early uh, 2000s. Um, That's when Mike stopped. I, saying, I remember him from um, Horror Vision, uh, Hell Asylum. I, I think he did a couple of... Um, yeah. I, I, I don't remember offhand, but I, I know I've seen his name on, like, a lot of the early 2000s, like, one-shot ones. He didn't do any of the, like, main franchises for Full Moon. He did a couple of the, you know, their standalone uh, one-shot entries. So um, if you're familiar with that era, then maybe he'll be a familiar name. But um, in, in any rate, so uh, basically the film as a whole is basically a group of college douchebags go to uh, this cabin in the woods for a spring break weekend. Uh, one of the uh, guests decides that it's a good idea to um, throw each of their laptops into this uh, nearby spring and record it for a viral video for some reason. And when they go through with it, they end up mutating one of the local gators into this massive monstrosity CGI gator. And if, you know, fill in the blanks, creature feature, run them up from there. Um, I had a blast with this. Uh, this was uh, the perfect kind of cheese for me, uh, especially after Slaughterhouse, which was a disappointment. Uh, this one leans into it and leans into it heavily. Um, I, I mean, the gator looks like shit. 
There's literally scenes where it's floating in midair. It's like literally, <laughs> it's like literally. Oh, he did Ouija's? Wow. Yeah, he's like literally <laughs> floating um, in midair, and they're acting as if it's walking. But um, it, there are scenes where it's like floating along the ground, or um, it manages to uh, jump up onto the um, awnings of the house because the house is a two-story house. Um, it's like it's in the Louisiana Bayou, so there's like the, a two-story house, and then it fl- it like lands on the um, awning over the front porch, and jumps down and grabs victims when they try to escape from there. Um, the cast is probably gonna irritate the hell out of you, but um, I will uh, gladly say that uh, it's only 58 minutes long, including the credits. This Ooh. is uh, legitimately under an hour. Um, so yeah, uh, you don't have to spend uh, as much time with them as uh, you normally would. Uh, decent gore. I'm not going to say that it's, you know, some of the best kills ever. I mean, it's a gator chomping on people. Uh, you know, there's some CGI blood splatter, but it, uh, fits with the, uh, tone and topic of the movie. And yeah, um, the characters are, like I said, obnoxious douchebags, but, they do kind of start to get a little funny as uh, time goes on and they start to realize that the gator is there. Um, one of the characters in particular thinks he's this macho superhero that's going to, you know, save the day. Only he, uh, everything he does ends up backfiring and makes him look like a doofus. So um, it's kind of, uh, you know, fun with that. Uh, you know, the nerdy hero gets the good-looking girl, all the usual tropes. And it sets itself up for a sequel, which uh, I will not reveal, but, uh, you know, fingers crossed. But, yeah, it's a, it's a blast. Uh, it's much more in vain of, like, the, the silly f- films that I really enjoy. And, uh, I mean, like I said, it's 58 minutes long, and that is including the ending credits. So uh, you're not going to spend much time with it if you don't want to be. But, uh, yeah, um, bad CGI gator. 10 out of 10. Nine out of ten. There's a few storyline issues I had with it. Okay, nine out of ten sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. When I saw this poster, I, I knew that this was something I needed to watch. I, it, it's not something that I really prioritized or else I would have watched it by now. But I have heard a couple of different people now say that, you know, it's an, that it's just a fun movie. You know, obviously you're not yeah. you're not watching something called Bad CGA, CGI Gator to you know see a cinematic masterpiece. You know, you're 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 there. You're tuning just like Cocaine Bear. You know, you're not looking for yeah. a masterpiece. You're looking for a fun, gory, violent movie. And from what I've heard from the couple of people that have seen CGI Gator, yeah, it sounds like something that's going to be right up my alley. So I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can find it tonight. I might even try to watch it tonight. But yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, I I've seen other and I haven't seen it yet, but I it's it's available for me to watch. So I'll put it that way. <laughs> um, oh boy. All right. So for my last one, I was gonna bring up a, a show that I started on Netflix called Shingo's List. No, the tourist. <laughs> uh, it's an Australian kind of like thriller. Oh, the the mine. I, I started watching this too. Yeah, it's pretty good actually. I think I'm like four episodes in, or like a, anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour each. But um, one because I haven't finished it, but two, I never got a chance to talk about this movie with you guys, or even on a show because you uh, 
you covered it on Creature Comfort. But in the meantime, since I saw it the first time in the theater, I actually went back to see the black and white edition, and that would be Godzilla minus one. I... I'm just ready to nerd out because holy shit, how to make a great movie even better, in my opinion. I don't even, it, it's a tough call. Like, I don't even know if I would call the black and white version better or just equally as good or a different experience. But man, like, I was a little, I was like, okay, is the novelty of it being in black and white going to wear off? And no, it, it, it felt like its own complete movie like just watching it in black and white it, it gave it that throwback feel and and to me the movie already kind of felt like an older school style Godzilla movie in the first place so like adding the black and white element to it holy shit was it was it great I am glad I went to see it because I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to find time um, I usually just don't have the time to see movies the second time even if I really like them but this is one where I was like, man, it's Godzilla. You need to see it on the big screen as much as possible. So I figured it out, and my God, what a what a movie the second time around in black and white still. So if anyone wants to add, I know you guys have already talked about it a lot, but if you want to add to it uh, for the sake of this show, go ahead, uh, indulge now. I mean, yeah, obviously we haven't had a chance on Creature Comforts to talk about the black and white version. But as I mentioned on the last episode of Creature Comforts, I, we're probably going to stop talking about Godzilla because Godzilla has literally taken up a large chunk of the last four episodes oh. of uh, Creature Comforts to, oh. to the point oh, where we got Godzilla ago. X Kong next month. <laughs> exactly. And obviously, you know, being creature feature lovers, Godzilla is, you know, an absolute king to us. So. You know, anytime a new Godzilla movie or a new Godzilla property is going to be released, you could probably bet your bottom dollar that Creature Comforts will be covering it. But as far as Godzilla minus one minus color, I'm not going to say that it's better than the color version. I, I genuinely love the color version. I love seeing the blue on his um, dorsal fins when he's about to do his atomic breath. Yeah. Um, there, there's just certain colors in this movie that don't pop off as well in black and white not the colors but the effects necessarily yeah. what i will say is that minus one um minus color is was a seminal experience this was th this black and white version is definitely a love letter to those of us that have been kaiju fans our whole lives because we've been living you know like i said i'm a 50 plus year old man i've had godzilla in my life my entire fucking life and i adore the black and white godzillas the first couple of godzillas that were released in black and yeah. white I, I love them because of what they did for me as a kid, watching them as a kid. These are the movies that gave me that awe of cinema, of, of filmmaking, and seeing these movies and thinking, God damn, this is so great. And that original Godzilla movie, going into it, I, I had already seen giant monster movies before, you know, stuff like them and, you know, uh, the Black Scorpion, blah, 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 blah. Um, so I kind of expected the same thing going into it. I expected it to be an atomic era, giant monster, um, you know, American style horror movie, but they gave us this compelling story that is not only a legitimate horror film, it is a legitimate drama. 
I defy you to find me a more heart-wrenching scene than the mother and her daughter in the building about to collapse in the original Godzilla. Or maybe it was her about to join her father. Yeah. Yes. Oh, we're about yeah. to join daddy. Oh, my, fuck you, dude. Creature features should not make me cry. God damn it. So, yeah, those original Godzilla movies meant so much for us that seeing Godzilla minus one minus color may not have been a quote unquote better film, but it was an experience. It's something that was meant for us. Those of us that have been there. I'm glad that, you know, Mike may not be a lifelong Godzilla fan, but he obviously still enjoyed the black and white version just because of the strength of the film. It's such a great goddamn movie. It's an amazing film. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, shame on you. Um, but, you know, hopefully we'll be getting a physical release sooner than later. But the point is, um, yeah, uh, the Minus Color was great. I saw it twice in black and white. I saw Godzilla Minus One a total of eight times in theaters. Yes, I am a whore. I don't five. care. I saw it five. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, obviously, I have the AMC Rewards Pass, so obviously it makes it a lot easier to I, see I can't, movies. I can't, I can't wait for the new AI cut. <laughs> Godzilla uh, minus one minus color plus burr. Where they oh, add God, burr. plus burr. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I agree with Mike on almost everything um, he said about minus color. It is, I mean, it's obviously gone from theaters now. The opportunity is gone. I'm sure the minus color version will be available on the physical media. Worst comes to worst, you could just turn your TV to black and white. Uh, the only, <laughs> The only complaint I really had is that I thought the movie was a little dark. Like, I thought some of the scenes weren't as clear and vibrant as the color version. And I, I'm i pretty sure that was a purposeful choice to make the movie look a little bit more like Godzilla 54. Maybe not the film grain and all that, but yeah. some of the darkness of the black and white. Because, yeah, there were definitely scenes in the black and white version that were not as clear to me, especially the attack on Oda Island, like the very first attack. Mm -hmm. Definitely much clearer and vibrant in the color version. But like I said, minus color is an experience. It, you needed to experience it on the big screen. And those of us who got the chance to are definitely loving it. So yeah, I'm right yeah. there with Mike. But one of the best films of 2023, one of the best Godzilla movies ever made. And just to be able to see it, a, you know, a second time to be able to see it a seventh and eighth time in black and white just made it all worth um, it made it all worthwhile. So for me, holiday season 2023 will forever be Godzilla minus one. No other movie, entertainment property, anything um, captured my attention the way Godzilla minus one did in December and January of yeah. So yeah, so I mean, what else can we say about this movie that we didn't say on our hour and a half long review of Godzilla I, minus one on Creature I, Comforts? I will say this too because I started in the blood the minus color. Uh, I, I I prefer the color version because uh, yeah. the simple fact because he was influenced by like Miyazaki when he was making this movie, and you yeah. can see that in like the colored version. There's a very like all the like the wardrobes and the colors pop out like an um, anime Ghibli film in a way especially with the human drama stuff that, that very felt very like spirit away or like a conversation from like Grave of the Fireflies you know like I know that's not a Miyazaki film but it does have like same like overtones with that movie 
For sure. Heavy, heavy ass movie. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever watch Grave of the Fireflies again. Too goddamn. That ending floored me. Yeah, too much. Yeah. <laughs> amazing film. A fucking amazing film that I will probably never watch again. Same thing with stuff like Requiem for a Dream and Dancer in the Dark. Like, those are some amazing films. I will never watch them again, ever. <laughs> I just don't like, I don't like being that depressed. Oh, God, Antichrist, no. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know what's more painful, the Achilles or the scrotum. Ah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no, no. Don't remind me about Antichrist. Holy shit. Oh, man. <laughs> the movie that ruined naked sex in movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> All right, Mike. All right. That uh, I think wraps up the official uh, round robin of what we watched. Uh, does anyone have anything left, like that they watched, played, read, anything else that they watched? been playing Tekken 8 lately. How is that? Uh, I like it better than Mortal Kombat 1. Really? Oh, really? Oh, I have been playing Diablo 4, and I'm a little behind. I know that game's been out for like six to eight months, but uh picked it up for the, you know, be, be, for those who don't know, my wife had a little bit of a medical emergency recently. She had to take some time off from work. So while we were home, bored, I, I went ahead and bought us like one of the only co-op you know, multi, you know, offline co-op multiplayer games that I could find. That was Diablo 4. And, yeah, we've been playing it like mad, man. Uh, some of the monsters in this thing are amazing. I mean, if you haven't played a Diablo game, it, it's a very heavily RPG-oriented hack and slash. So, you know, you're really just kind of hacking and slashing, using spells, things like that. Um, and then the RPG elements, which I'm not even that big a fan of. I The RPG thing is... Uh, that's my wife's thing. Mrs. Venom is the RPG player in the house. I'm the shooter, the fighting game, um, adventure games, things like that. Uh, she's the RPG player, the Sims player, like all those kind of uh, city builder games, things like that. She, she That's the kind of stuff that she likes. But Diablo kind of checks off boxes for both of us, so we're able to play it together. We've been playing it for about a week and a half now, and we're still not sick of it. So, And it's a gigantic game. If you want to talk about return on investment, Diablo 4 is freaking gigantic. Like, we've already invested at least 35 hours into it, and we've barely put a dent in our skill tree. And I know I'm using terms that non-gamers might not understand, but the gamers out there know what the hell I'm talking about, uh, the RPG skill trees. But, yeah, like I said, we've invested about 35 hours and have only done a fraction of the skill tree, so... Yeah, return on investment on these Diablo games is awesome. Yeah. So that's what I'm playing. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm I'm playing Tekken 8. Oh, I get to play uh, as a giant panda. Tekken, Tekken Tag Tournament's still my favorite of all the Tekkens. And they're, they you can unlock Tekken Bowling after you beat it ten times with yeah. more than ten different characters. Um, but the, the new game I'm playing right now is... Uh, it's called Cookie Cutter. It's kind of like a Metroidvania. Oh, I'm playing that too. Yeah, I just started that. It's pretty fun and gory, and yeah. like it's cool. Um, getting my ass kicked on certain parts, but yeah, it, it's it's pretty fun. Like the progression is. Yeah, that, I'm playing that in the Messenger right now, and you know how that's like. Oh, I love the Messenger. I got stuck on one of the bosses. Was it the Golem? Yeah, uh, it might be. Yeah, man. Oh. 
some of the timing you have to have, like jumping around and avoiding things and some new spikes and shit. I hate the fucking spikes. They're everywhere. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Um, I. It's funny. I have news, but a lot of it's shit that broke like over the last couple months. Uh, Anything one, about Robert England? <laughs> oddly enough, no. Um, that tradition, no. We haven't kept it up for this episode. Uh, one thing I wrote down. Scream nine. Uh, yeah, I wrote Scream. Scream is falling apart because uh, that's been falling apart for months. Well, I, I, every time I, I swear, every time we delayed our episode, another element of the next Scream movie like got ruined because like the, the first it was <laughs> yeah first was the actresses then it's the director now it's like we don't even know what the fuck we're gonna do with the, with a new screen movie so there's that make um, it make it a 2000s like i just say don't oh, fucking do anything like, that's what i say like <laughs> an animated I'm, series i'm always the one who's taught that talks about leaving franchises alone like Friday the 13th is my favorite franchi- horror franchise of all time. I never want to see another one. We're fine. We've got 12 of them. We're good. If you put out more, you're going to end up ruining something. So just Unless Mike Flanagan is going to direct the next Friday the 13th, leave that franchise fucking alone. And I say the same thing with Scream. And I loved Scream 6. Scream 6 was probably my favorite since the original but I'm still going to sit here and agree with Mike and say, fucking leave it alone. If you can't get any of the legacy people back and you can't get any of the new established stars, um, what the fuck is the point? Yeah. yeah. Mike Flanagan's got to make that Clayface movie first, though. Oh, God. I, 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 feel, I feel like with all the shit that's uh, ruining Scream 7 from happening. This is the oper- This is the like the door open. Bring back the surviving legacy characters and put a f- like some type of finality on on the franchise and just fucking cap it because it's. I'm ready for it to be over. Um, Black Mirror got renewed for another season. Hopefully, it's better than what we've got <laughs> lately because it's still good. I, I've still enjoyed Black Mirror for the most part all the way through, but I definitely think like the last couple seasons have taken somewhat of a quality dip. They need uh, to release else? another ver- season of that Del Toro show. Oh, Cabinet of Curiosities, was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was great. Yeah, pretty good. I mean, uh, great to stretch. I liked it a lot. Uh, it's Guillermo, and Again, my expectations got away from me, and I, I, I just expected a little bit more. Like, I was really hoping it would be better than Creepshow. And I don't know. I think overall, Creepshow is the slightly higher quality series. I mean, granted, it's got like three or four seasons of, I don't know. of content. Creepshow didn't have Robocop doing Coke. Valid, valid. There's some, oh, don't get me wrong. There's some great stuff, and I mean, I lo- Guillermo's my favorite director, bar none, uh, horror or otherwise. Um, so, like I said, maybe my expectations got away from me a little bit because the first couple of episodes I was really into, and then as the series went along, it just felt like diminishing returns on the episodes. Whereas, you know, Creepshow. Creepshow is kind of the same thing where it starts strong, but it didn't. No season of Creepshow has ended as weekly as that one season of Curiosity, or Cabinet of Curiosities. And this is a Guillermo fan saying this, so, yeah, slightly disappointing, but I'm still looking forward to the second season. I'll I'll watch it, definitely. Hell yeah. (laughs) All right, I got uh, 
What else? Oh, Exorcist Believer sequel loses its director. Hopefully, it just loses the entire thing. Yes. Another <laughs> one, another franchise that needs to be left alone. Finally, <laughs> please. There's only there's one only one true Exorcist sequel, and it's part three. Yep. I got uh, a movie adaption of Until Dawn is possibly coming, which is funny because yes. that whole game, the purpose was to be like a movie. So yeah. I guess it com- I guess it comes full circle there. Um, you know what I'd like to see? Um, do you remember that interactive Black Mirror movie that they made a, a few Bandersnatch? years back? Bandersnatch. Thank you. Yeah. Why don't you make Until Dawn like that? Make it a movie, but make it interactive on Netflix where we can actually pick the path the characters take. I think that would be – because I thought it worked for Bandersnatch. I it, liked it. it definitely didn't work on the Undertaker New Day movie. No, God, no, no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, we also got the announcement of the, the next uh, Predator movie, Badlands. And, uh, Will, yeah, will still be directed by Dan Trachtenberg, the director of Prey, so that's awesome, because I loved Prey. I don't know about you guys, but I thought Prey was fucking great. It was amazing. I enjoyed it. Yes, I did. Yeah. Loved it. So we've got, it was based yeah, on my got, life. Nice. So we got Predator Badlands going into production soon with the same director, um, and they're claiming that this time it will be a theatrical release. Fox, uh, or 20th Century is basically saying, oh, uh, yeah, we're going to put it, because of the success and the great critical acclaim that Prey got, it's going to be put in theaters. So that's all. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah, they probably realized pretty quickly they messed up by not putting Prey in theaters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Instead, we get to watch Night Swim. Yay. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Imaginary. Fuck that beer. I, you know, I haven't seen the trailer, and I've had a lot of people tell me the trailer looks kind of silly and cheesy, but I do like imaginary friend horror stories. Something about those always work for me, so I'm excited for it. There's two imaginary movies coming out. they got that and the Ryan Reynolds one. Which one's that? I don't think I if, know about that one. Imaginary friend. It's called If. Oh, no, I know nothing about that. Nice. Oh, good. Is it horror, or is it just like a... It's like a fucking Ryan Reynolds movie. Oh, it's a comedy type thing? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the last thing that I have for news, I don't have much news, but and this isn't really news so much as uh, just a, uh, kind of um, an announcement for the kaiju fans out there. Any of you guys out there who don't care about the Super Bowl and also have a subscription to Screambox, uh, go ahead and check out the Monster Bowl. Monster Bowl will be playing all day on Screambox on Sunday from 4 a.m. all the way to midnight, and it's just going to be all kaiju movies, all giant monsters and kaiju. So, yeah, like I said, if you're not a football fan and you have Screambox and you're a, you know, you're a giant monster fan, you got something to do Sunday. So there you go. Should be hosted by Don Fry. I should be hosted by Don and Nelly. Imagine <laughs> Thank you. Right? And Don Fry. This is Don oh, Fry. Oh, the Dons. I like it. The Dons of Godzilla. <laughs> the <laughs> Kaiju Dons. Uh, okay, what else? I have a, an RIP to give out to Flyboy from Dawn of the Dead, unfortunately. Flyboy. Yeah. yeah. I watched I watched the movie when I saw that announcement. Yeah. That was I watched Man, Fast Maps, too. I, I still keep going back and forth if I should buy that import 4K set or not, because... I'm trying to hold out, like, is it... It's never coming Derek, up. Derek, are, are the American releases, like, tied up for some rights issue? Richard Rubenstein. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's Ruben Stain. There, we're we're probably not going to get another four K release. Uh, probably till he dies. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to say. No time soon. How old? Is I've he got like, what age range is he? Oh God, I have no idea. Like, does he just want too much money, or is that the issue, or... Yeah. Damn. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I just bought mine last year at a horror convention. Uh, Not the the, uh, Region B, either. The American, the Second Sight release. Um, It cost me an arm and a leg, but at least I got it. So that's probably going to be your best bet, Mike. Go to some conventions and overpay for the 4K, because that's what I did. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I know on Amazon they have, like, the 4K... um, Second and it's okay one. because 4K movies aren't region locked. I just think maybe the special right. features I can't watch. But yeah, you can't watch the Blu-ray discs. Yeah, unless you, yeah. Have you can't watch the Argento cut. Yep. <laughs> oh, the oh, Argento cut doesn't have the 4K. Okay. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but like I said, I got the American one. I paid for it. It's my favorite zombie movie of all time. So of course I'm going to overpay for it because I missed out on the original release when it was only like 50 bucks, but. Whatever. I'll overpay. I don't care. Is it out of print now or just crazy expensive? Oh, wait. wait. I mean, you can still get, it's out of print. It, it is out of print, but you can still find it. It's just going to be – you're going to be spending about 100 bucks. So, yeah. Damn. Okay. But, I mean, in my opinion, it's fucking worth it. It's a big set, you know? It's not just like a little single-disc set. It's a. Yeah. It's like three or four discs, lots of special features, all three versions of the movie – it's well worth the money. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. So if there is – there's a select few movies that I would just pay the absorbent price for to have, and that's that's nope. one of them. Um, exactly. I just, I, I just bought the the, the Raid uh, 4K Steelbook. That nice. Should, but that should be here soon. Um, and I threw in like a, a Reagan Funko Pop with it from Exorcist. Ah! Not, not the former – Oh, Ray- oh. Reagan. 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 <laughs> because Reagan. There, there actually is a Ronald Reagan pop. That's why I was like, what? <laughs> Reagan smash. <laughs> which which Reagan pop did you get? Puke or no puke? Uh, it's She's standing up in her nightgown. I think it's puke, but yeah, I'll, that's I'd the have newer to look at it again. Nice. Okay. Yeah, puke, so puke is the newer one, yeah. Puke is the one that came out on Friday the 13th last year. Um, okay. It came out with the Michael Myers behind the hedge, um, the black light killer clowns, blah, 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 blah. Um, nice. Oh, Cutting Class is getting a 4K release. I don't know if anybody remembers that oh, Brad Pitt vehicle, <laughs> that slasher comedy. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think we did that on – what show did we – I think we did it on It's Is It That Bad or something like years ago. Um but yeah, it's a it's a weird little movie, but you know, definitely Martin a throwback. Mull. But Martin Mull, exactly. So yeah, just uh, we're getting a 4K release for that one on oh February 3rd. Ha! It's already out. Go buy <laughs> Cutting Class on 4K. Yeah. Of all things, uh, for funny. for some reason I have written down Fargo versus True Detective. I don't know why. Uh, maybe I was going to do a comparison, but I have no idea what exactly I was going to say. So <laughs> I'll, I'll skip oh, past that. <laughs> uh, also, bravo to one of my favorite new newer horror directors for the work that she's doing on season four of True Detective. That is, of it's course, so the director. Issa Lopez, the director of my number one movie from 2019, Tigers Are Not Afraid. Um, I, I absolutely adore that film. And uh, she is a producer on uh, uh, 
what's it? Night Country, Night Country, season four of True Detective. So, and she's really excited about it. She's always like on social media talking about it and everything. So, yeah, bravo to Issa Lopez. I love seeing these great independent horror directors getting opportunities in the mainstream, and it doesn't get much more mainstream than HBO. So, rock on, Issa. <laughs> the only other thing I had written down is a question, which is, is Beetlejuice 2 going to suck? <laughs> I don't think so. I have faith. I have faith in Tim Burton. The fact that everyone, or at least everyone who's still alive, is going to be back, and Tim Burton is directing, and Danny Elfman's doing the score, how could it be bad? It's got Willem Dafoe in Burton's, it. No, no, and Tim Burton's, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying Tim Burton's infallible, like everything he's he He's done some shit amazing. movies, yeah. He's absolutely done some shit movies. Planet of the Apes. This yeah, is, I mean, this is like the franchise that made Tim Burton Tim Burton. So yeah. I, I have full faith that it's going to be maybe, watchable. Maybe the framing of the question is wrong. It's not necessarily is it going to suck, but is it going to like? Because to me, Beetlejuice is like a legendary ten out of ten. It like was one of the movies from my childhood that like I I threw threw on constantly. But my love for it continued into my adulthood, and when you get a sequel like this after so many years, it's like, is he striving to hit those heights again? Or is he just like, eh, let's just make a Beetlejuice movie because people still want, like, you know, is it going to be like a six, seven out of 10 versus like, you know, it, where it's like not bad, but it's just like, eh, because what I look at is like uh, coming to America too. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Sadly. I don't know, man. It was yeah, like, it was directed by John Landis too. Coming to America too. Well, yeah, it yeah. was. It was a I competent, mean, you, okay movie, but like, it was such like a weak version of the first one. Like, I was just like disappointed. But the fact that Burton's actually, I think he wrote and is directing, obviously, this one. So I do have like some hope. I'm just like, please tell me you put your all into this. Yeah, he's not, he's not, like I said, uh, Beetlejuice is a sacred franchise to Tim Burton. I don't think he would just put out a movie just to put it out because people want to see it. I mean, I thought the exact same thing about Mike Flanagan doing a sequel to The Shining 38 years later. And guess what? It, the fucking movie is amazing. I, it's, it's on a par with The Shining. So, yeah, um, I, I'm not necessarily saying that Burton is going to be our, you know, um, it, it, he's not going to descend from heaven and give us a movie that's better than the original Beetlejuice, not at all. But what I'm saying is the fact that we're getting the original creative team back, we're getting all of the living actors back, uh, plus Jenna Ortega, I have faith that it's going to be at least good. It may not be great, but I think it'll be good. Yeah, if you give me something good... That'll that'll probably get the job done at least. Exactly. Um. Yeah. That's all I really had written down. I have a I have a comment about streaming quality being good, and I think the reason I wrote that out is because I was going to tie that into like maybe why people aren't buying physical media as much because streaming quality, like HD streaming, it's it's like people are satisfied with that, so they don't feel the need to go out and buy. Movies. That's why I think I wrote it down, but it was a long people, time ago. People aren't buying physical media anymore because they can't fucking find it. I went to Best Buy the other day. They don't sell physical media anymore. Best yeah. Buy, the place where I bought most of my 4Ks and Steelbooks and everything, they have nothing. 
Um, I have to, I, I now have to go to downtown LA if I want to go to a store that has yeah. a lot of physical, you know, media, movies, and records, you know, music and shit. Fuck, um, I just order it, all my shit online now. That's how bad it is. That, yeah, exactly. I, I, I end up ordering a lot of stuff online. I end up ordering stuff because Best Buy, Best Buy does still sell physical media on their website, but you're just not going to find any in their store. And considering Best Buy used to have one of the biggest physical media sections of any, you know, big box store out there, and now it's nothing. So I, I'm going to say that that's a major factor is why physical media isn't selling anymore. And obviously, you know, the the instant satisfaction thing of people just downloading a movie and watching it, or not even downloading it, just fucking streaming it. Um, I mean, I love streaming too. I genuinely do. But as I turn and look over my left shoulder – I'm also looking at a wall filled with about, mm, I don't know, about 1,100 movies in my racks. Yeah. So, you know, if you make the physical media easier to find, people will buy it. Because they're, um, not, you don't always go to Best Buy specifically to buy a movie. You might be there to buy, I don't know, a cell phone or a battery. A wire for your computer or exactly. something. And then you see the new movie rack and you're like, oh, shit, Thanksgiving's out on 4K. Why the hell not grab it? You know, you didn't go there specifically to get it, but it ended up being an extra purchase. And with all of these stores not carrying physical media anymore, there's no more of those impulse movie uh, purchases, which is going to make a major dent in the total sales, like the total annual sales of physical media. So obviously people like us – go ahead. uh, No, I was going to say, speaking of Walmart, do you remember back in the day like the $10 movie bins where you just kind of hunt, treasure hunt, treasure hunt through them? I mean, literally, my wife and I would literally sit on the floor, pull out every single movie from those bins to make sure that I saw every single thing that was in there, and then we'd throw them back into the bin and buy the ones that I wanted. But, yeah, that's what I mean. Physical, like, just – purchasing stuff like even Funko Pops like I'm a big Funko Pop collector even with Funko Pops there's not as many retail outlets like you know you got the basic ones like the Targets and the Box Lunch and Hot Topic and stores like that but as far as like the specialty stores the stores that only sell Funko Pops we don't have a lot of those anymore five years ago we had triple the number that we have now and you know, because I'm a phys- I'm an old man. I like shopping. I like physically shopping. I like driving to the store. I like walking up and down the aisles. L- listen uh, to the younger generation. I understand the allure of online shopping. I do. Being able to just not even shower or get dressed, just sit in your underwear and order movies that they get delivered food. to your house. That yeah, food. I mean, that's all awesome. But I'm I'm old enough that I still enjoy getting the fuck out of the house, getting some actual sunshine. Exactly. I I just I like I said I've always been um, just a big fan of physical shopping, even groceries. Like I don't even use Instacart. I want to go to the grocery store. I want to look at the meat. I want to hold the bread. You know what I mean? You know what I used to do back in the day? I used to go to like because they closed the Barnes and Nobles near me now, and I used to go there all the time when they had the Criterion sales. Now yep. they close it, then the it's like fucking twenty miles away. I'm fucking I I don't you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I just end up ordering them online. It's like, yep. 
And Barnes and Noble, that was another going back to the Funko Pops. That was another big retailer of Funko Pops was Barnes and Noble, um, Borders, Books a Million, like all these big bookstore chains were big uh, retailers of Funko Pops, and now they're all gone. Hell, even and, Target's physical media sections fucking just books now. My yeah, and, like one books. like one rack of movies. You know, it, it used to be like six aisles. Now it's like one rack. So. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be a bigger factor in the declining sales of physical media. But I think there will always be a market for physical media because there's always going to be old folks like us who just like to hold the movie in our hand. You know, I like to hold a physical thing in my hand, pop it in the player, and then watch it. I mean, Hell, you Xbox know, and PlayStation are going to – it's fucking sickening and sad. It's fucking crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I you know, I, I'm not necessarily saying that I'm right and anybody else is wrong. It's just my opinion. I've worked in physical media. I've worked at record stores and, and movie stores before. I've worked at duplication houses where we actually make the physical media, where we you know duplicate the VHSs and things like that. Yes, I said VHS because this was back in the '90s when I worked at a at a video lab. Back in my day, we had VHS. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I used to have to walk in the snow barefoot to go test VHSs. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, back to the horror. Burning question. Play that music. Play that yeah. music. <laughs> Play the music after the fact. Yeah, imagine. <laughs> Fuck it, do it. <laughs> Fuck it, do it. Yeah. Play it twice. It's that good. <laughs> Yeah, that was our impromptu physical media rant about where where has it all gone. Yeah, Venom, I was, I was definitely one of the people that would be at the store every Tuesday on release days because we had a we had a Fry's Electronics here at the time, and I would yep. always Same I would always me. get pissed because there was a Fry's in the Bay Area about like an hour and a half away, and there'd be a lot of times they would look up their street date list, and they'd be like, oh, we're not getting it, but the one in the Bay Area is, and I'm like, God damn it. Like, I would love for a full boost to fucking open here, because they're all, like, up in New Hampshire and Maine. They're not even in Mass. Ugh. I've been in one of those before in Maine. I, I fucking loved it. I, yeah, I could stay there for fucking hours. And Derek, we had uh, Barnes & Noble's here. We also had Borders books, which is, like, a similar concept that I oh. would... That's where I would go read Fangoria when, like, I was too young to be able to, like, afford to buy it. I would just go to their little coffee shop area where the magazine rack was and just grab Fangoria and read it while I was there. Buying Solo at Barnes & Nobles. I'm buying Solo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. At At the coffee stand, just holding it up, looking at the, hey, look what I bought, girl. (laughs) Hey. You like the Marquis de Sade, David? <laughs> We're watching Quills and Solo. Oh, shit. Okay. All right. Don, are you alive? Yeah, I, I've just got nothing. Yeah. Don doesn't collect shit. <laughs> I, I collect, I just don't, I can't afford it. Oh, I hear you. Shit. I've been unemployed for two months now. Yeah, I've, my collecting is definitely been put on hold until I get work. Yeah. Kind of sad, but it happens. <laughs> I, I yeah, won't buy, though. I do, I do buy e-books and e-comics. So my wife is e-books. into, like, Audible and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah she loves audiobooks. So that's, that's yeah. cool. I, I feel like I get in the habit of adding stuff to my wish list and just, like, waiting for it to go down in price. Like, the, the Howling 
4K I think is down to nineteen dollars now. And when I first put it on my list, it was seen on Amazon one day. It was luck. I lucked out. It was like okay. yeah. It's weird because like I don't know if there's certain algorithms cater to the individual because like at random times I'll click on my wish list it's like oh the price dropped by 18% but then like the next day it like goes right or back five, up. Or five minutes it goes like like the others I was about to buy it was, it was 34 I'm like that's a good price for that right now because they usually like and then it went up to 50 I'm like what the fuck. That actually happened to me with a Funko Pop literally I was um I was looking on Amazon I found one I wanted I bookmarked it. I didn't add it to my cart. I bookmarked it. And then I went and looked at other stuff, went back to the Funko that I bookmarked, and it was $3 more expensive than it was 20 minutes earlier. <laughs> Fuckers. So the end of the story of that is I ended up buying Pinocchio by Guillermo Del Toro. Hey, that, oh, oh, the Del Toro one is watchable. Uh, I thought you were talking about the Disney one. <laughs> oh, you, you, Jim, Jimmy Cricket's played by Obi-Wan Kenobi. Hello there. Exactly. No, I love the Guillermo one. Yeah, that's a great version. I am Jimmy S. Cricket. Let's go All back. Right. To, All, right, All right, Mike. Take control so, of your show, damn it. I'm going to close this out with one more question about that Dawn 4K set. The, theat- the theatrical and director's cut, those are both in 4K, just not the Argento. Cause, uh, let me see. Hold on. Because I, I think I'm gonna pull the trigger and just get it because I don't I don't want to wait too long on that and that one goes out of stock too and then I'll never be able to get that either. Well, don't forget I have I I, I have the American Dawn of the Dead. I didn't buy that Region B one. I've actually got an American one. So, um, let me see here. Um, uh, theatrical cut 4K. Extended cut 4K, Argento cut 4K. No, I'm sorry, all three are in 4K. My bad. Oh, okay, cool. You could do and it, the Mike. Special. Ah, just get the American. Spend the money. Be a man. Be a man I mean, next time I have the opportunity, I just I gotta wait for a con to come here, and hopefully the vendors here that have all this shit. It's not that day that doesn't even have a fucking 4K. Uh, yeah. Uh, we got that Scream Factory one from a few years ago. I, I mean, I, I, do, I want a 4K, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, I already have Night of the Living Dead on 4K. I bought that I one do as too. soon as I could. I, 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 I got the Criterion, a, yeah. Yeah, that's the weird thing. It's the only like one of the only two Criterion I rebought twice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is the part of the show where we take a break before our main feature, but we haven't even announced them yet. They are Derek's picks. So, Derek, what is the double feature for this episode? Okay, we're going back in the time in the 60s, like Med Hammer like 60s hammer and you know like we got one that's kind of classic traditional hammer with like two of their main actors as in like a bunch of their movies like peter christian and christopher lee are in the gorgon but uh we'll talk about that one in a few minutes and then i want to do a movie that you know kind of no one ever talks about it it's kind of like a borderline mixing of like genre movie for Hammer because it's kind of like sci-fi but then it gets into some folk slash cosmic horror qualities to it that I kind of dug and you know it actually influenced a bunch of movies that I loved growing up and I'll talk about those in a few minutes that's Quatermask in the Pit not Quatermask Quatermask and in this one, he's like the cocaine bear throughout it, and it's awesome. 
we'll get into that in a minute. But, uh, yeah, and the, the, the main Lincoln thing of these two, because they're even from different directors, is they both star Hammer, female Fatal, Barbara Shelley, who did a few films for Hammer, like uh, actually Quatermass in the Pitch, her final acting role for the company of Hammer. So, yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. You know, that's kind of the connecting dots and one of the – have something to connect them because they are vastly different movies. But <laughs> yes. As it, but, you know, one has, like, this kind of fairy tale esque thing, and then the other one just turns into fucking the end of Life Force at the end. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which actually, we'll, we'll actually talk about a little bit more in a minute. But, yeah, let's get into it. After the break. All right, so we will take our break and be back with our double feature. The scenes you are about to see are more incredible than anything today's science or fiction ever imagined. It 
was here under a full moon in the little village of Van Dorf that an ancient legend suddenly terrifyingly came to life. Doctor, you'll perform an autopsy. On a body that's turned to stone? Magera the Gorgon had kept her evil peace. But now this strange, unearthly creature returns to petrify every human being who crosses her path. Starring Peter Cushing as the doctor, did his strange talents direct him to medicine or murder? Christopher Lee as the professor confronted by a conspiracy of silence that paralyzed the village with terror. Akira died 2,000 years ago. It's her spirit we're concerned with today. It's found a resting place in somebody. With a terrifying realism, she comes to life and brings death to all those who look upon her face. Carla! I am waiting for Carla, Mr. Hyatt. Yum, yum. It's time for a tasty and refreshing snack. to satisfy your hunger, your thirst, your sweet tooth. So visit our refreshment center now. Let's go! And now, on with the show. And we are back, everybody. That is right. Derek is at the helm. And I'm here to introduce my picks. Like I said, we're doing 1964's The Gorgon and 1967's The Quatermass in the Pit. The first film, of course... The Gorgon from 1964, directed by the one Terrence Fisher, who is a staple of Hammer Horror. There's probably not a movie that you have seen that's Hammer that's directed by Terrence Fisher. He did some of the big heavy hitters, especially uh, like Horror of Dracula, The Curse of Frankenstein, the the, the Hammer version of The Mummy, uh, The Phantom of the Opera, uh, Tons of them, and this is kind of uh, in between movie where it's like, uh, 
not really like a established thing, but you know, it borrows stuff from like other. We'll get into it in a minute, but uh, the plot of the Gorgons pretty uh, self-explanatory. In early 20th century, a Gorgon takes human form and terrorizes a small European village by turning citizens to stone. Yeah. Ooh. Now, the first time I ever seen this movie, I was like, this is a weird fucking movie. We'll get into it in a minute, because... Peter Cushing's the bad guy in this movie, and Christopher Lee's one of the good guys, which is usually the other way around in their career, you know, which is kind of cool. And, uh, yeah, it's a lot of that stuff. And, you know, it starts with, like, this Maury Povich subplot of this girl's pregnant. (laughs) You know, and the guy's like, I'm going to go talk to your father. Don't do that. We need to go on Maury first. (laughs) <laughs> you know, before we, let's not jump to any conclusions. He'll kill you. And then she gets turned to stone, and he he's found hung himself, and he gets blamed for the whole thing because it's kind of like like this thing where this town's like we we don't want this shit to get out now. <laughs> this is this fucking ancient legend that's actually killing these people. Which you know it's kind of funny because. They couldn't even use the actual Gorgon's name for the actual Gorgon in this movie. And every time they call it Mogera, all I think is Mogera from Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla. <laughs> I kept thinking of Bam Margera. <laughs> yeah, that's too. But, uh, yeah, it's actually very interesting how this movie... Because, you know, there's scenes of this movie that kind of remind me of, like, Dario Argento's Phenomena and, like, the fairy tale aesthetic of that movie. And it's kind of, like... Yeah, Argento must have watched this one. Because there's, like, scenes of people walking through, like, graveyards at night, which they're not supposed to in this movie. Stay away from the full moon. You know it's not a werewolf. You know. But, uh, you know, I actually do find the movie interesting, and especially, like, you know, I like like the, all the, like, the mental hospital shit. I like that the main henchman of the mental hospital who's also an assassin on his spare time, is the, the sea captain from Tower of Evil, which I liked. Call him back from another episode. But uh, the Gorgon itself is an interesting-looking creature, especially the, the you can see some of the strings in the hair later on. Especially if you watch this in HD. It's fucking hilarious. But, uh, yeah, nothing's as much as hilarious as the wig that Christopher Lee wears in this movie. It's amazing. He looks like Albert Einstein mixed with Grandpa Joe. <laughs> it's like a quaff. Yeah. <laughs> and he has a matching mustache to go with it. It's great. Uh, Venom, have you ever seen the Gorgon before? Yes, yes. Of of the two movies we're going to talk about, this one is not a first-time watch. I actually am a fan of the Gorgon. Um, one of the things I've always liked about this movie is that most movies dealing with a Gorgon usually default to Medusa. And I like that this movie isn't Medusa. It's one of Medusa's sisters. Granted, a made-up name, but still, uh, the mythology is there because there actually were three Gorgon sisters. They just kind of changed the name of the other two in this one. But, um, yeah, I I always like that, that they don't lean into Medusa in this one. Um, 
I've, I've always loved like the first hour of this. I love the whole movie, but the first hour was always really, really compelling because you don't see the Gorgon as much. And I feel like, especially in 2024, this movie starts to suffer the more that we see the Gorgon, the more that we see Megara in this movie, it kind of suffers. Just like you said, you could see, uh, you know, wires holding up the snakes. Uh, the fact that the snakes barely move, like the actress almost have to almost has to shake her head to make the snakes kind of move. Um, it, it just it, it makes the film suffer a little bit, but but it, it doesn't necessarily hinder the film. Um, I still have a really good time with it. I've seen this probably about a half dozen times now. I am a big fan of Hammer Horror, though I will make a shocking statement later in the in the episode. I'll, I'll save that for later. But, uh, yeah, I am a big Hammer Horror fan, and anything with Lee and Cushing in it, I'm down for. And isn't this like the second or third Terrence Fisher movie we've done on this show? Right? At least the second. I know we because we. I know we did Island of Terror and Creature Comforts. That might be what I'm thinking of. But didn't we do, like, Curse of Frankenstein or, or Castle of Frankenstein on one of the early episodes? Because I, I could swear this is, like, our second Hammer episode. I wish we did, because I would... Maybe it's another show. Maybe I'm literally thinking of just another fucking show. But I do remember doing either Curse of Frankenstein or Castle of Frankenstein. Um, with Lee and Cushing and talking about that on a show. Maybe it was a completely different show, not related to our family of podcasts. But, yeah. Um, at the very least, we did Island of Terror on, um, we on did the, Creature uh, Comforts. We did the Bloodthirsty Trilogy, which is kind of like an adaption of Hammer Horror. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I, re- I remember the Bloodthirsty Trilogy. I adore the Bloodthirsty Trilogy. I own it. I, I ran out and bought it right away. Um, but, yeah, I could have sworn, because I remember watching – one of those uh, Hammer Frankenstein movies, and it was for a show, but maybe it just wasn't a No More Room in Hell show. But, yeah, either way, yeah, very familiar with Terrence Fisher, very familiar with his work. Um, You know, uh, know, most Hammer films are like a hug from grandma. You know, it's like comfort food. It's something uh, for somebody like me who grew up with them, it's always a treat to return to them. And the Gorgon is one, because because the Gorgon doesn't – touch upon any of the major like universal monsters you know this this isn't Mm -hmm. dracula frankenstein the mummy a lot of the other horror uh hammer horror films that they kind of remade from the universal days so this one this one always felt a little bit more original as a as a hammer film and like i said the fact that they don't lean into medusa that they kind of utilize her sister i thought that was really cool i really really enjoy that the people in this movie don't instantly turn to stone you know like in clash of the titans or something like that yeah. like it's a process and it's a fucking it painful, painful process yeah i mean one of the characters actually talks about how much pain he's in as he's you know turning into stone but to, to look at these people, to see their flesh slowly turn into stone from outside in has to be one of the most painful fucking things ever. So I love that they did that because it, it's, it would be really easy for them to just do the instant stonification. It literally, you look yeah. at her eyes and suddenly you're stoned. But the fact that they dragged it out, that that's one of the elements of this movie that I always praise when it comes to a Gorgon movie or a Medusa movie is the fact that they, uh, you know, drag out that process. I like the effect. I like how, you know, the, the, the victim will get those holes in their face. 
and you know the graying of their flesh. I, I just I thought all that looked really really good, really compelling. Um, the ending is always going to be where my issue with this movie is because I, I there there are so many head scratching moments. Like how how is it that Clara is that her name Clara Carla Carla how 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 is it that Carla you know ends up, you know, that she's what she is, and the fact that this town is okay with it doesn't seem to, it, like, the town almost embraces it. Like, they, they almost cover it up to the point that they want it to keep happening, even though they're losing some local people, too. It's not just, you know, outsiders that are getting killed by this thing. Yeah. Locals are getting killed, too, yeah. but they all they all seem to be okay with it, so yeah, I don't know, it, it's definitely... I was going to say, the thing that I always come to is it's because of Dr. Peter Cushion's character is kind of infatuated with her throughout the movie. Because this, oh, absolutely. Because uh, this also turns into, like, a weird fucking love triangle between <laughs> him and uh, the actual main hero. Well, he's supposed to... This movie's weird because it feels like two movies in a way because it kind of, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, we introduced to, like... Uh, the, this character's father in the beginning, he, he kind of gets like 2014 Godzilla Brian Cranston, where he's, I think, I felt like he was going to be our main character fucking throughout and the next 20 minutes, he just dies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you get stuck Absolutely. with Aaron Taylor Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, Derek. Kind of. It, there is an element where, like, it, it feels like a love triangle movie, but then also the Gorgon mystery. I I like how the mystery unfolds in this movie. I think it's 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 entertaining the whole way. I love the set. Some one of my favorite things about Hammer horror movies is like when I when I go to a, a haunted house, like I want I want like a Hammer horror set haunted house where it just has that gothic like feeling with like everything stone. There's like smoke. <laughs> billowing everywhere and it just has that like murky kind of setting i i just love that in like hammer movies my favorite hammer movies usually feature just great sets in it and you know the cast the cast is just fun anytime lee and cushing are on screen together uh it's usually going to be entertaining even if this it's a story where the script's not the strongest but i think in this one it's fun i love the way it plays out i love the kind of like the slow burn I feel like watching it in retrospect, you kind of go into it somewhat knowing, because this is actually my first time watch of this, but, like, you kind of have an idea, but that's just because of all the, you know, other horror movies we've watched since uh, with with a uh, similar type story or mystery, but um, yeah, I, I found this very entertaining. I, I was a big, big fan of it, and uh, we get a nice decapitation at the end which I didn't necessarily yeah. know was coming and uh, even yeah, though it's like obviously uh, even though it's a <laughs> obvious dummy it's like, I, I just don't care it just doesn't bother me like I just, 1964 I, the, the, only, the only thing that really bothers me about the movie now is I wish Barbara Shelley played the actual Gorgon because it looks like some old lady <laughs> with a bad yeah way. if anything that's that would be like the one, I guess, criticism. It does look like a different. Because <laughs> it's supposed to be the same person, you know what I mean? So it's weird. But I guess, you know, it's like a complete transformation. But, you know, it, it's kind of weird because they don't actually describe, like, did this thing, like, 
I'm kind of with Venom, too, where it's kind of not really explained well. Like, it's spirits attached to her, and that's why it's turning. The more you think about it, the more it sounds retarded. Yeah. Yeah, I also love the various stages of, like, people turning to stone, like Venom said. Like, there's some people just in a state of, like, pain and anguish because of, like, they're all gray and, like, stiff, but, like, they're not quite stone yet. That I thought that was really, really cool. I love the, the tagline yeah. on the box, petrifies the screen with horror. Like, how perfect is that? <laughs> yeah, and the, the thing that kind of reminded me of fucking Phenomena going into it was the score has, like, this girl humming, like, the Phenomena theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like where I, you, I see like similarities with like kind of like that fairy tale esque feel to that those scenes in general. You know, they kind of have that same feel. It's like a gothic fairy tale story with weird love triangle, mystery, mental patients going crazy. Yeah, I I love a good old school uh, Hammer horror that. Um, despite like who the villain are, villain is or bad guy or woman or whatever, it's like sometimes you can still have the sympathy because it almost feels like they're a cursed character in the in, oh. the, in themselves, right? Fucking like, every time Cushion plays a bad guy, he's just Moff Tarkin. It's fucking grim. <laughs> yep. Go, go my on. question. <laughs> my question about Peter Cushing: How the hell did he get that girl's brain out of her head without cracking her skull? Did you guys notice that? He he literally just peeled back her scalp and then pulls her brain out. Like, what? I thought there was a skull there. <laughs> He's Frankenstein. He could do whatever he wants. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Don, what's your... Uh, yeah, um, I unfortunately am stuck with the unenviable task of not having much to add. Uh, I absolutely, unequivocally love um, Hammer. It is... One of my all-time favorites, uh, one of my favorite movements. Uh, gothic horror in general is uh, one of my favorite subgenres, and Hammer is one of my favorites. So, that, yeah, I, I, I love uh, the Gorgon. Um, it's one of my favorite um, Cushing Lee pairings. Actually, it's my second favorite. It's right after um, Them and the Mummy. Um, yeah, um even though I, I do like their uh, confrontations better in um, Horror of Dracula, um, I actually do enjoy The Mummy more. So that's always been uh, my favorite. Yeah. Uh, that's always been my favorite, uh, you know, Lee Cushing adaptation. And then, uh, you know, you round all that off with uh, Curse of Frankenstein and Horrors, Horror Express. And, uh, yeah, there's uh, just no shortage of fun to be had with the two of them together on screen. Yeah. Um, yeah, watching Horror Express, especially after you know like some of the backstory of that movie, right? It, it yeah. makes their scenes more heartfelt, and I kind of tear yeah. up, you know. Exactly. In that sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I, 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 I really, uh, I, I, I second that. Um, I, I didn't know the first time I watched it. Obviously, I mean, it was kind of hard to, you know, know about that when you first see it, but. Um, yeah, for Gorgon, I, I, I don't have uh, much new to add. Uh, I I absolutely second the uh, the use of the Gothic landscape, the Gothic architecture of the castle. Um, the setup is fantastic. This uh, you know these strange series series of uh, murders that take place where the bodies are turned to stone, and yet they're still trying to figure out like you know they're still trying to try the the you know 
the deadbeat um, artist that uh, ended up killing himself and they're trying to make him out as the murderer. I, I love that idea. Um, you know, typical backwoods, uh, you know, small town country folk, you know, no sense of, uh, you know, reason or common sense or anything like that. But yeah, um, I, I absolutely did um, point, you know, I, I love that you pointed out the uh, the, the strangeness with how the uh, setup is carried out with uh, how she's possessed and how it's not just, you know, the, the you know, the the figure, you know, surviving throughout the eons, but then never knowing that that's who she is all along. I figured that would have been an easier way of going about it instead of having, you know, her be the strange woman that gets possessed and, you know, trying to carry out the mystery that way. I, it just leaves, uh, you know, like you guys are saying, there's like way too many plot holes and, you know, trying to tease all that out at the, the last half, it, it just, you know, makes it feel like it's tacked on from another film, but yeah, I, I think that's kind of like the only real, um, you know, negative with it. You can look at the special effects and, you know, say that's at a default. But uh, like Mike said, I, I, I love the cheesiness of it. I, you know, there's a, you know, just heartwarming charm to seeing these kinds of silly, you know, effects and, you know, snakes just, you know, stiff as a board trying to, you know, imagine that that's, you know, like these wiggling things trying to come at you. but um, yeah, I, I can't really imagine that there's anything new I can add to what's already been said. Um, you know, going last and agreeing with everyone here. Uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite Hammer adaptations by, <clears throat> even with a, uh, very, very, very healthy, uh, competition, it's still one of my all-time favorite Hammer films. Nice. Yeah, I dig it a lot, man. It's fucking awesome. But that was something completely different. <laughs> now, we're going to move three years into the future, and uh, their uh, final Quatermass movie, which actually the Quatermass series started in the 50s. They did two Quatermass movies, black and white, in the 50s. Uh, one was uh, about, like, a... a astronaut that comes back to Earth and he actually contacted with some alien organism and he's starting to slowly transform into something uh, very thing looking, let's just put it that way and the second movie, Quatermass 2 which was uh, it's kind of like the, another version of because the Hammer did this movie called X the Unknown which is kind of like their version of the Blob. It's another Blob movie. <laughs> they did two Blob movies, Hammer. <laughs> you know, so yeah, the the, the and uh, they both starred like American actor Brian Don Levy as Quatermass. Now, it's vice versa. This is the first Quatermass movie that they did in color, and it's directed by Roy Ward Baker, who. Uh, He's actually done, this is actually his return to film. He was like a big, like, journeyman director back in the day. Like, I was reading about this. He directed the first Titanic movie, The a Night to Remember. <laughs> this is from that, this is the same guy, you know. Wow. Yeah. And he did, like, uh, some uh, amicus stuff, too. He did, like, Vault of Horror. Yeah. And, uh Yeah. And this one's uh, written by Nigel Neal, who I'm going to talk about, kind of give you the backstory. 
Nigel Neal is a guy who created this character, Quatermass, and he did, like, these TV dramatizations on the BBC, like, the Quatermass experiment was, like, one of them, Quatermass 2 and Quatermass in the Pit, and they all star Andre Morel as Quatermass, who would later, he stars in shitload of hammer shit. Uh, and Nigel Neal is a director, a writer who dabbled in, like, uh, other things like he did like a lot of BBC TV stuff like the Stone Tape, uh, which is very similar to this kind of story. Uh, and he was also one of the ghost writers of Halloween Three. He actually wrote the first screenplay for what was to become Season of the Witch, which you kind of see like similarities of like themes when you know that going into it. And, of course, uh, John Carpenter is a huge fan of these movies. He actually, uh, for Prince of Darkness, because he was kind of sick of seeing his name on every credit, actually changed the writing credit to Martin Quatermask after the, the name of the, the character, Quatermask. <laughs> and, you know, there's tons of, like, when you watch this movie, there's tons of Carpenter references within it, like In a Mouth of Madness was influenced by this movie with Hobbs and... Fucking uh, Prince of Darkness has a very similar storyline where they find some ancient thing in a basement. You know, it's all been, you know, and uh, John Carpenter went to school with Dan O'Bannon, who wrote the screenplay for a movie called Life Force. Mm -hmm. And so Life Force is very much like a big cocaine quater mass movie. But yeah, this one stars Andrew Kier taking over the role, or as I like to call him, the cocaine bear, because he's very angry. <laughs> he screams a lot. I am Quatermass! Do what I say! And then there's uh, James Donald, who I know from like The Great Escape and shit like that. And he plays uh, Dr. Rodney. Barbara Shelley comes back as Barbara. Her name's Barbara Judd. <laughs> and... Uh, as a, our human villain of this movie, Colonel Breen, <laughs> our human character, uh, villain character is Colonel Bren, Julian Glover, who this is the second movie where I've seen this man melted, and the sec first one was uh, Last Crusade, Indiana Jones, where he was the bad guy in that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, pretty much the main plot of this movie Going into it, a mysterious artifact is unearthed in London. Hmm, very folk horror-ish. A famous scientist, Bernard Quatermass, is called in to define its origins and explain its strange effects on people. And yeah, the Quatermass movies are kind of like Quatermass is trying to figure out science between, like, supernatural, because there is, like, underlying, like, this weird supernatural element that's going in the movie that's later explained by him. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm not going to really spoil much because, Don, I'm going to start with you first because this is the first time watch, I think, right? Right, yeah. Um, I remember when you brought this up on my show and how intriguing I was with it. Um, <clears throat> I have to say, I enjoyed it, although it, I probably would not have been uh, – I, I don't know if I would have been in the right uh, mindset for this, for this if you hadn't uh, brought it up for um, our show. Uh, I 
usually love these kinds of uh, detective stories. Um, you know, I, I kind of grew up with a lot of, uh, you know, the uh, 40s and 50s mysteries and uh, a lot of the, you know, investigative work that went on, you know, leading clues when one goes to another, all that sort of stuff. Um, I enjoy I, I enjoy the central setup here. I, I think, you know, the idea of this strange canister, all of these, uh, you know, strange uh, beings that they find. I, I think that there's a lot of, uh, you know, really intriguing elements there. And, uh, you know, the, the scientific curiosity and how to study it. Um, I I enjoy the final act a lot more. I think it's a little bit more um, energetic, a little bit more um, explosive. Um, has a little bit more spectacle to it. Um, as you were saying, very, very, very heavily influenced by uh, Life Force. Um, wouldn't If I didn't know any better, I would say that it was, uh, you know, almost like a direct ripoff of this movie, actually. Um, but yeah, yeah, pretty I, much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, there's a, they can, you know, minor differences here and there, but yeah, for some reason, I I just found a lot of the scientific talk just a little bit too dry. Um, yeah, yeah his, it is very uh, dry, I agree. Yeah, his arguing and bellowing doesn't really help his cases when, you know, he may be right, but he's being a total ass about it. And, yeah, I, I didn't really enjoy Quartermass as much as I expected to based on, you know, our conversation about it. Um, I, I, the mystery kept me involved. Um, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, logically unfollowing clues and trying to, you know, deduce what's going on. And that's well handled here. I like the way that it builds up to, you know, what these things are and what they're doing. But yeah, um, I, I found it just a little bit too dry for my taste. Um, yeah, I, I didn't mind it. I, I enjoyed it. Um, it was a fun time. Um, you know, probably would want to go back in and check the others. Because you said there's two or three others before this one, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm kind of curious because the weird thing, I always think about this because in this one, Quaid Mask is kind of like the side character of the movie because the real star yeah. is like Dr. Rodney and Barbara. And he they're helping him throughout it. And I, I like that because, honestly, Dr. Rodney's the fucking hero of the fucking movie. Exactly, yeah. That was, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, you know, it's it feels weird that, you know, like you were saying, it's Quatermass and the pit, but yet he's almost like the, the sidecast because he's the one trying to argue with everybody while it's the other guy that Dr. Rodney, he's the one that's actually going around deducing everything. But he's I, the one that's... I was going to say it because pretty much... Without spoiling the reveal of what's happening, I can see it slowly taking over him throughout the movie, too. That's why I think he's a little bit more frantic in this one than, say, uh, Brian Don Levy's character being more like, hey, I'm just here. Because he's getting kind of taken over by what's going on within the actual plot of the movie. So that's why his character is doing all the screaming and yelling, because that's what everyone ends up fucking doing at the end of this fucking movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but like I said, yeah, um, another one that I, w- I would want to revisit again. But, yeah, just uh, as a first-time impression, um, first half was a little dry, but I, I'm still on board with it. But I, I do definitely prefer the uh, 
the second act to this one a little bit more. Okay. Ben. All right. So for me, this was very definitely a first time watch. This was not only a first time watch for this movie. This is the first Quatermass movie I've ever seen. I have never seen a Quatermass movie. Always heard a lot of things about them, but I also all I also heard that they tend to lean a little bit more into sci-fi than they do horror, and that's exactly what I got with Quatermass. I don't uh, with Quatermass in the pit. Excuse me. I don't dislike this movie. I just. I am not the biggest sci-fi fan, uh, which I know is weird because sci-fi and horror are sometimes considered two sides of the same coin. But um, my my uh, Mrs. Venom, she's the sci-fi fan in the family. She's the Star Trek watcher, Firefly, um, you know, all, all that um, sci-fi television and movies. That's more her thing. My love of sci-fi pretty much starts and ends with the Alien franchise. I I just I've never been the biggest sci-fi fan, and now I and you know and it's it's a lot like Don like 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 Don was talking about how he found the science talk very dry in here. I 100% agree with him. I'll even go farther and say not only the scientific talk, but just a lot of the dialogue in this movie is very dry. Like sometimes. Some people overreact to things, but then a lot of people in this movie underreact to a lot of what's going on, um, especially like Captain Reed, or excuse me, Captain Breen. Um, yeah. Yeah, he just very, very adamant to not want to admit what he's seeing. He He's one of those ultra-logical guys that even if he's looking at an alien, he'll still say aliens don't exist. You know, one of those types of guys. And, you know, those kind of guys are kind of hard to get behind. I mean, obviously, he's kind of the human antagonist in this film. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's really just doing his job, ultimately. Or he's trying to do what he thinks is right. It's just that he's so close-minded that he comes off as a douchebag and very villainous. Um, which, you know, which is fine for the character. I'm not necessarily complaining about that. But like I said... Uh, just the fact that this leans way more into sci-fi than I would like um, ends up making me not be as interested. Like when they pulled the pilots out of that pod, I thought that was cool. I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. You know, that they look kind of interesting. They kind of look like Martian Pokemon, uh, which I'm very <laughs> okay with. <laughs> I like Pokemon, so I'm okay with Martian Pokemon. Um, but... I just wish that we would have seen a little bit more of the Martians actually doing something. Like, you know, we, we get the two Martians in the pod that just kind of deteriorate as soon as they pull them out because they've been dead for so long. And then, you know, we get that um, that dream machine, whatever the hell you want to call it, that is able to pull – uh, yeah, able to pull memories and shit out of people's heads, shared memories no less. So um, that was kind of interesting, but again, a little heavy on the sci-fi for me. So ultimately, I did have a good time with this movie. Um, I, I, I did enjoy it for the most part. And I'm also going to say that I think I was born a few decades too late uh, because I'm absolutely in love with Barbara Shelley. I, I feel like Barbara Shelley... Uh, should have been my wife if I was born like in the 30s or 40s, but unfortunately I missed the boat there. But yeah, yeah he's just, fucking great in this movie. 
Oh, yeah. in both movies, I thought she did a great job. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. You know, something about those British redheads, man, that just really does it for me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, overall, I did enjoy the movie. I don't know that it's something that I'm going to um, rewatch or gravitate back towards. Same thing with the other Quatermass movies. You know, if you tell me that the other Quatermass movies are also leaning more towards sci-fi than horror – I probably won't seek them out and watch them uh, unless it's for a podcast or something, yeah. which is never an issue. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, the early ones are kind of more because, like I said, like like they lean more into like fifty science fiction. Yes. Which you know, like you know, like it came from outer space, so they're yeah. a little bit more accessible in that sense. A little hokey area. Yeah, I'm yeah okay you know, that. definitely. Yeah, plus you know, one's a mud monster. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually like uh it's actually if you don't like the dryness, like X the Unknown's a very dry dialogue movie too. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know. But uh yeah, I get and plus like I said, these were originally like BBC television screenplays yeah. and the, it kinda leans into that because they feel very like some of the dialogue does feel very BBC ish in that sense. No, absolutely. I, like I said, yeah, yeah, I definitely didn't dislike the movie. I, I had a pretty good time with it. I have no problem watching Barbara Shelley in a film, so anything starring her I'm, I'm very happy with. Um, I will say I may need an explanation of the end of the film. Um, I understand kind of what was happening only because they told us specifically, but the whole thing with the floating head in the sky and grounding <laughs> it, like that – I have I have no fucking idea what happened. Like, why would – again, probably because I don't even understand what the thing in the sky was. Like, I thought it was just a ghostly image, but very obviously it had to be physical. It had to be a physical thing up there. So, yeah, I, I'm going to need someone smarter than me to explain the ending. Of I can explain it. <laughs> Please. So, so pretty much, as they explained, the Martians that landed on this earth – Millions of years, five million years, because ironically, the American title of this movie is Five Million Years to Earth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so those, uh, they found fossils of, like, humanoid creatures. The Martians implanted their memories inside those humanoid creatures, and their descendants later on still carried the gene. And it awoke, because pretty much the Martians were going to, migrate here, but then they had that big giant genocide scene that we kind of saw on that yeah. TV. Mm-hmm. It happened, and it kind of made... That's why everyone was going fucking crazy, because they were doing the reproduction of that, pretty much where this mass suicide happened to these Martians, because they all have the gene besides Darkner Rodney, who doesn't have it, because of his iron deficiency, pretty much. Yes. Yeah. yeah. This is all the stuff that I just didn't quite catch. And it got um, reincarnated, this spectral of this demonic Martian head, which uh-huh. pretty much pretty much what they're saying is these Martians that came to this planet are resemblance of the fallen angels. These are the things that were written about, like the devil fallen, because they have the horns. Right. You know, so it's kind of like, Mixing religion and folk tales with sci-fi. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I got most of that. Like I said, it's literally just that final scene. Like I just don't really get the floating head 
uh, why they had to ground it to, to, to I, I'm assuming to close the circuit and electrocute it. Um, like I said, there's just a lot of the science of the end of this film I don't understand, and that's do probably because I'm not the biggest the sci-fi fan. Too. Oh, that could have that could have been a factor. Too. Yeah, the, the ending's a little bit more Hollywood-ish compared yes, to the original. Yes, very, very Hollywood. Yeah, yeah I, did, I did definitely kind of catch that. I mean, even even like the uh, the mass violence and suicide and everything at the end, once the shit hit the fan, like. I didn't. I still didn't quite understand what was happening. It wasn't until they literally, like, somebody mentioned that this is similar to what happened in the video or the uh, the memory, whatever, that I started to actually put together that oh, okay, there's something um, mental and physical going on here where this Martian is somehow, you know, affecting our mindsets and you know making us uh, commit suicide and, and things like that. Yeah, which, this, which yeah. And, and, and this uh, mass with the the recreation in the streets with the humans is creating it's feeding this thing. That's why it's starting to light up, and it pretty much shoots out of the fucking ground from the light that was Milton Julian Glover. Ah, that's, that's what I didn't catch. spectral. Okay. It became the spectral image of a giant devil head, pretty much. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. I, I, in, the original po- in the original poster, uh flaming devil head it doesn't even look like a martian they save that kind of for spoilers right. you know what I, mean? no, I hear you i hear you okay well now i kind of understand it a little bit more um i wish i didn't have to have it explained to me but obviously <laughs> you know it's an older movie um and it is like i said it leans into sci-fi which is something that i've never really been into i, yeah. I i'm not gonna say i hate sci-fi it's not that. It's just it's not really my thing. I've never really gotten into it. It doesn't really give me too much enjoyment. Like watching a straight sci-fi movie doesn't really do a whole lot for me. It's got to be like a sci-fi horror or a sci-fi comedy or you know like a Spaceballs or something. Yeah. But uh, yeah, sci-fi is just not my thing. So yeah, um, I wish I would have watched this with Mrs. Venom because I think she might have pulled out a little bit more enjoyment out of it than I did. Especially because she also is a fan of hor- of Hammer horror, more so of the you know the Draculas and the Frankenstein's. Like Christopher Lee is her favorite Dracula in the world, like ever. So um, obviously we we do watch a lot of Hammer here, but Quatermass is just one that we never got around to. But I'm sure, um, like like if I were to tell Mrs. Venom what this was about, she would probably want to watch it, and then she'd probably want to watch the other Quatermass movies as well. Which you know I'm not necessarily against. It's just I'm just saying that since I'm not the biggest sci-fi fan, I'm probably not going to seek out the other ones necessarily. But, yeah, still a really good film, really well put together. Um, I just wish maybe the end was a little bit more idiot-friendly for those of us who aren't into sci-fi. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Honestly, like, the like the most scary parts of the movie actually were, like, more like the folk horror shit that happens. Like, the scene where they take, the cop takes them to those fucking abandoned... Houses and shit. Yeah. Yeah, and he's just describing, like, and he's, like, having a non-flashback all of a sudden. Like, I, I thought some of the the riot was pretty terrifying. Like, that yeah. one scene where that one guy with the hat and suit on was running, was running around, and every time he would pick a new alley, at the end of the alley would be another group of people looking at him with no yeah, emotion very, on Yeah, very face. Prince of Darkness, like, the, the homeless Thank you. people. Thank you, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, yes, exactly. That's... 
Uh, you know, without even thinking about it, that's probably what it reminded me of, and I just didn't really realize it. But, yeah. yeah. I also saw elements of creep in here. Now, obviously, that that might be uh, kind of heavy-handed because, again, it takes place in uh, underground train stations. Yeah, raw meat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And early on, they even talk about underground ape men. So I'm like, oh, is this going to – is this like the prequel to, to Creep? People? Yeah, exactly. Something along those lines. But yeah, overall, still a really good movie. Um, just definitely more for people that lean towards more sci-fi than horror. But still well-acted, well-directed, well-put-together. No major complaints. Just, you know, a little too sci-fi for me. That's all. I do want that fucking sculpture that Mike, or was it you, been in that post? Oh, yeah, I found that just out of nowhere. Somebody actually made a statue of one of the Martians with, like, a, the Quaker in the pit. Yeah. yeah, and the Hobbs End sign behind it. By the way, um, I did absolutely appreciate that because uh, In the Mouth of Madness is one of my favorite John Carpenter movies. Now you know where Most it came people, from. Exactly. Most people who know me know I'm a big Lovecraftian lover, love anything remotely cosmic. Um, so to see Hobbs End right at the beginning of this movie was just awesome. So, yeah, I, I, I did appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Mike? Yeah, so unlike Venom, I actually do like sci-fi. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like, well, no, I'm just saying. Hey, I'm um, honest. I don't care. <laughs> I think, uh, so right now we kind of live in somewhat of a renaissance of like sci-fi related stuff because of once the internet came around, you know, it, it gave all this new possibility of like what people think the future, it kind of got those juices flown in, in creativity of like, oh, what's the internet going to lead to? But back in like the 50s and 60s, you had that with uh, post-nuclear uh, bomb and space exploration. Like once we landed on the moon combined with like the nuclear bomb going off, it it had this like explosion and like, oh, what what's that going to mean for the earth in like 20, 30, 50, 100 years? And most of it was way off. <laughs> like some of these grand uh, – grand ideas of like what we would be doing by the time we were now in 2024. They thought that we, it, well, I would say in some ways they thought we were way more advanced, but at the same time, I don't know if they would have ever guessed like the smartphone. Right. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see what ideas they got right and what they got wrong. But anyway, so yeah, this era we're in the late sixties here. I agree with Venom. This one definitely leans more sci-fi. There's like, at different points in the movie and the story, there's definitely opportunities where if they wanted to go horror, they could because, like, the creatures, they end up digging up. I, I do like, you know, how it starts like an archaeology dig almost. Like, <laughs> it made me think of, like, the beginning of Jurassic Park when they're, like, digging and they're like, oh, shit, look what we found. Um, and I love that this one, it, it kind of feels like the way it ends is it reminds me of the first Invasion of the Body Snatchers where, like, you, he finally gets everyone to believe him, but it's kind of too late, and the damage is done, the destruction's been done, and they're just in 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 that um, the guy, the main guy, he's just kind of like relieved, but still under stress because he knows what's happening. And in this movie, it's kind of similar thing. It's like, oh, we figured it out what's behind all this, but it's too late. The city is in chaos and destroyed, and we're just kind of, like, exasperated at the end of the movie. Like, we're exhausted. We've kind of been defeated. We didn't really stop anything. And the credits are just going to roll on our faces like, God, what failures. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it remind yeah, it definitely remind me of the original uh invasion of the body snatchers. Um 
But yeah, I, I did enjoy the movie. I ha- this is actually the first Quartermass movie I've seen too. So and so definitely a first watch uh, for any of the Quartermass, just like Venom. And I like it. It's definitely like the more unconventional out of the two movies. I think to the point Venom made that ending. Like I feel like the ending gets so deep in the woods of like what's going on and like how to kind of explain, it, especially for a first time watch. Um, although for me, by the time we recorded this episode, it was a second time watch. Uh, but uh, you can get you can kind of get lost in the sauce there at the end, like trying to figure out exactly what's going on. I think that's plenty fair because even uh, even my second time watching it, it's like you you kind of understand basically what's going on. Like obviously they dug something up, it unearthed something, and now it's causing havoc. Like that much is like obvious, but the actual like meat of like what's going on of course yeah it's it's a little hard to follow so i could see people uh feeling that way on on watching this movie but overall i I still found it pretty entertaining and 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 a fun movie i probably will like go see what the quarter uh, other uh, cut of my ass movies are all about just out of curiosity you know yeah like 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 it's weird because like like i watch i I haven't seen queen of mass 2 yet actually I seen Quay Mass Experiment in this one, and like even like that one, like there's certain times where this guy's changing, like like it, the body horror of it reminds me of John Carpenter's The Thing, like the guy's hand looks like one of the thing's <laughs> hands, you know, when yeah. uh, Ben Inns was turning. It, it's weird. The, the, the Carpenter, like he, he even has like a comment, like a commentary on that disc too, like the experiment one. He, he fucking loves these movies. I but I'm not surprised. Yeah, I mean, I know, like, because the thing, you know, everyone t- mentions the thing from another world, obviously, but I'm sure there's lots of this era of movies that influenced him. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, Don. I agree with mostly with. Yeah, Don. Um, <clears throat> I didn't get any of that. You were cutting out. I was about ready to ask if it was something wrong with me or the internet. I, I heard practically nothing. Uh, yeah, we heard it. Or I heard it. I, I, I heard practically nothing. Um, I, I was just about ready to chime in and see if it was you guys or me. So what were you saying? Oh, we, I think we were just saying, go Don, talk about Quartermass in the Pit. He did already. He went first. I went first. He went first. I know. I want him. I no. He now he needs his rebuttal after the fact. After everyone. Oh. Else goes, <laughs> <laughs> no, something we've never done, and Mike just dropped it on us. Go figure. <laughs> yeah, figure me unprepared and not knowing what's going on. <laughs> Dog, hey, to be fair, I I did a lot of fucking like watch YouTube videos on this movie before this because I knew there was gonna be like some of these questions that popped up. So, you know, it's pretty much – the more I learn about this movie, the more I like it because it's a good talking movie in that way, especially with, like, all the themes that are going on with it. And some of those themes are very out there, but also, you know, it has, like, that element where you could fucking have, like, a fucking five-hour podcast just about this movie if you, if we really fucking broke it down from the nitty-gritty. Like, all the themes are, like, religion and shit and people's mm-hmm. views, like, the characters' views on 
what they believe in. That's pretty much what I get out of this movie when I watch it. And it's kind of cool in that aspect. It's kind of a, especially if you smoke a fucking bone and watch it. <laughs> it gets even better. Especially the whole That's thing. what I did wrong. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, it's like legend. Legend gets better every time. Oh shit. <laughs> oh shit. Uh, Alright. Well I think we've uh dissected the movies pretty well. Um Yeah, I mean it looks like uh movies that were enjoyable for everybody, so that's that's good. That's awesome. I, man, it's been so long since we recorded. I don't even know what our rotation is. Like, who goes after Derek? Do you remember? Is it? I gotta look at what the last episode was. That's how I'll know. Oh, it's Mike. Mike's picks. All right, I, I got no idea. I like. I, I've invested so much time in trying to get this one recorded. I, I haven't even I, like, I, thought about what would what, be after it. What do we do? Kid Amara before this? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, those were my picks. Yeah, and we did a few commentaries in between there too. I, I'll look too. So yeah, my, I mean, I just got to look up what 56 was, and I'll know from that. But, uh, yeah, cool, awesome. Well, uh, that's probably going to bring us to the end of this episode, but we want to find out where what everyone else has been doing. Um, unlike Fresh Cuts, like on this one, we'll be like, oh, we did we done like comforts. That's about 20 it. Fresh Cuts episodes since we last recorded this. But, uh, yep. uh, but, uh, but uh, what else do you got out there for people to listen to right now? All right, so No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. Episode 23 is now available. Uh, We looked at the 1986 Clive Barker classic, Rawhead Rex. Rawhead. Really good time. Quick episode on that one, surprisingly quick. But, yeah, that one's that's the latest episode of Creature Comforts. It's available. Obviously, Fresh Cuts, you know, we put out an episode every week. Our latest episode, we take a look at um, The Burned Over District, which uh, is a movie that's uh, dropped on Tubi at the beginning of the year. So check that episode out. That episode out sh- should be out uh, as you listen to this one, since that one's obviously the easier edit. So um Check out that. And, of course, like I said, we do an episode of Fresh Cuts every single week looking at the latest releases in uh, the horror and thriller genre. So check that out. And that's pretty much it for me, sadly. Um, uh, For those who don't know, I've had a very rough end of 2023 and beginning of 2024. Some family issues, some employment issues. Um, some health issues. Um, yeah, 2023 was just, uh, at least the second half of 2023 was an absolute shit year for me. Yeah. And 2024 isn't starting out much better. <laughs> as, as you know, we've already can't, uh, postponed this episode multiple times for various, you know, uh, emergencies and family issues and things yeah. like that. So, unfortunately, I don't have as much new stuff to report. I'm hoping that once the employment situation is taken care of and once all the health issues kind of start to stabilize, I'll be back at my normal pace of doing, you know, Crystal Lake gift shop every month, creature comforts every month, fresh cuts every week, and hopefully get back to a normal release cadence for the main show. You know, uh, no more nine week breaks in between episodes. (laughs) No more cursed Uh, episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hey, for, for, for whatever it's worth, the cursed episode, 
actually ended up to be okay once we got it recorded. It was just a matter of getting all of us together. To yeah, that's true. That. Uh, so yeah, like the, Auss- the Aussie episode where I had that we. Oh, that was a real curse episode because my internet went out halfway through and then we had to record it like two weeks later. The rest of it. <laughs> Remember that? That's right. <laughs> Good times. I got nothing, Mike, so we can just move on. <laughs> All right, Don, how about you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry. Uh, I, I, I don't mean to interrupt, Don. Our last main episode of the show was episode 56, released on October 11th. Holy shit. <laughs> We're bad. Oh, my God. Yeah, we suck. Sorry, folks. We, we <laughs> suck hard. <laughs> Quality over yeah, quantity. That's the way I look at like it. People are going to see this on the YouTube feed, and they're going to be like, oh, they got a brand new show. They're yeah, back. they're back. They got back together. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, as for me, um, most of my stuff is already mentioned. Um, weekly shows with uh, the other with uh, Mike and Venom, uh, Fresh Cuts. Uh, joining uh, Venom and Derek on uh, Creature Comforts. And uh, the only other main thing I have is uh, the Horror Countdown podcast, uh, which I talk about frequently on both shows. Um, although if you're uninitiated, it's uh, basically a list episode. Me and a guest, uh, we come together, we pick a topic, and discuss a top ten list on uh, that particular topic. So... Um, not knowing Mike's uh, editing uh, routine, I'm going to just uh, tentatively state that uh, as of recording, the uh, most recent episode is um, a look at uh, the top ten Australian horror movies, which uh, was a lot of fun. Crikey, did you do it all in the Australian accent? I introduced it. I introduced it as Dodongo and Ellie, but I blew my voice out uh, shortly <laughs> afterwards, so I resorted to uh, oh, my regular Dongo ate my baby. That was the uh, best. You just did it the whole episode. Yeah, I don't know how the hell I did it back then because I did the intro and I almost threw my voice out during this one. So well, there's I a lot no more idea. people talking on that show too, so you had time to rest. Yeah, well, that could have been it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, if it was uh, fresh cuts, yeah, I, I tend to kind of bogart a lot of the airtime. Sorry. <laughs> that's the thing. Moose yeah. was on that episode too, so it was even. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was like five of us talking about boar that one time. That was crazy. Uh, um, just boar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, the I, I did the Australian accent just for the intro, but then after that, my voice gave out, so I uh, did it regularly. I mean, we also recorded it at ten in the morning, just because you know, uh, for I, the guest was actually in Australia. Um, so it was kind of <laughs> reason why he picked it. So, um, you know, didn't have my proper, properly rested vocal cords, but yeah, uh, yeah um, I, I did intro the uh, episode for that. So, um, I at least got a little bit of it in, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, horror countdown is, uh, available pretty much everywhere you find podcasts. Um, I have to get myself in the mindset of seeing, um, Apple, uh, Spotify, cause uh, most of the other places are going out but um if yeah. you look around yeah if you look around you'll uh you'll find it it's uh out there and available as uh, the horror countdown podcast horror countdown horror countdown i'll do the theme song horror countdown oh please don't <laughs> come on <laughs> let me have drinks venom <laughs> uh 
Yeah, as far as I go, nothing but the normal shows are out now. I think I mentioned on the last episode of Fresh Cuts that uh, I am in the process of recording with Cut to the Chase. We're doing people under the stairs. We have to we had to make up to finish that episode out, which I'm assuming is going to happen sometime in this upcoming week. It's just kind of a crazy weekend coming up with Super Bowl and all that, so it takes away a normal day that I'd be available to do like whatever. Um, oh, be so like me and don't give a shit. <laughs> you know what the day is coming i will say because like i definitely don't have the passion for it that i used to but my friend throws super bowl parties so i would probably be going to that regardless of my actual interest in the game i'm so, working so don't feel bad <laughs> yeah hey i'll be home alone since the wife will be working so hey kevin McAllister, uh, you yeah <laughs> me and some beer well, and chicken wings That'll be my Sunday. Yeah, looking at the uh, calendar, we still have a couple weekends left in February, so maybe we'll try to push to get an episode out at the end of February of No More Room in Hell. It looks like the rotation is back to me, so if we want to stick to that, I'll try to hurry up with picks. Yeah, yeah, pick your your terrible movies already. (laughs) Wes Craven. The better. I still have Wes Craven coming. Shocker two. <laughs> All right. Well, Dom, thanks a lot for uh, joining us. I, it's not going to be long until we talk to you again, of course, because we see you every week on Fresh Cuts. But uh, thanks for coming by the main show, man. Yeah. Like I said, uh, it's always fun to uh, get the call up when it's not for commentaries. So <laughs> You can do commentaries, too. They're great. I know. I've done a couple of them. I'm just saying it's good to you know finally get the call up because the last three times I've been on here was the commentaries. Yeah. Usually Thanksgiving or Christmas. Right, yeah. (laughs) Should we do a Valentine's Day one? Oh, God, no. That's like Wednesday. Like, we're going to do a show in in a week. (laughs) Might as well. Fuck it. Uh, We can't do two shows in four months, but Derek wants to do two shows in one week. (laughs) Fuck it. Oh, shit. I'm down. Yeah, maybe we'll figure something out. But uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, It's been No More Room in Hell number 57. I had to look at the paper again, even though we were just researching our previous episode. But, yeah, 58, hopefully coming later this month. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, Thanks for uh, not being too sticker shocked at seeing a new episode in the feed (laughs) if you're listening. But uh, hopefully we'll be adding a lot more soon. With that, let's say bye to the listeners and descend down to the lake of fire. Goodbye. Later. Do you know the devil in hell is the Martian? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> All right, beware, folks. Beware army of bugs. <laughs> we'll Locus. see you in 2025.